Traveling the Vortex. We've joined a doctor as he travels the vortex and landed episode number 231. And there are plenty of feeble witticisms here. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? I'm good. How are you? Exhausted. Tired. Had to move. We're doing really well. We're done. Had the unpacking. It's almost done. (laughs) Really? About 85%. Wow. I would say. Pretty much most of what we have left is hanging pictures and unpacking knickknacks. But yesterday I spent several hours on the roof clearing out gutters. <laughs> Is your basement oh, still leaking? I, I, I need it to rain. So you can uh, <laughs> So I can find know. out. <laughs> well, it rained a lot, too. Yeah, so. well, and the last so even the last several rains, there wasn't much water in the basement. So what they had done before we even moved in helped a lot. And then... I think hopefully clearing out the gutters and the downspouts. Do you think it was just the gutters and the downspouts that were causing it? There were seedlings in my gutters. (laughs) (laughs) I killed many a plants in the gutter and the smell. Oh, God, the smell. (laughs) Like sewage. In addition to the random stuff I mentioned last week, including an envelope full of foreign money. (laughs) Did you mention that? You're rich! (laughs) British, Republic Doctores are no good here. <laughs> uh, a Russian tin ruble. Also, <laughs> I found a caricature. It's worth nothing now. <laughs> a caricature of Kramer from Seinfeld <laughs> in the basement. I think I mentioned the pictures, the portraits on, in the on, on a bill. No, no, this was separate. <laughs> I would, I would frame it. If it was yeah, I know why. <laughs> Funny enough, that's actually legal tender in Tunisia. So. <laughs> But I, I stumbled across another coaxial cable that looked like it was going up right next to either the shower drain or the <laughs> toilet. <laughs> but it's not coming up through the floor. It like goes up there. Good. I, I can't find it next to the toilet. Or, <laughs> and obviously, if it's underneath the shower, I can't see it. So How am I supposed to watch TV in the bathroom? <laughs> so there's all sorts of little things we're discovering. <laughs> but I have to say, I never thought I would enjoy owning a house so much. Like you're a rare even breed. Though, even mm. though I didn't do much else and lost so much time just doing little stuff around the house, I enjoyed my week off so much. That's what happened. Even though I didn't relax, I didn't you're have a day where I relaxed. No, 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 no. I, that's, yeah. I, th- I disagree. I think the more majority of people do this is, is you buy a house, and the first thing you think is you're overwhelmed with, oh my gosh. All of these things I have to do on my own now. I don't have a landlord to do them. I, you know, all these projects that you want to do, and you don't have any idea how to do them. And then when you get in here and you start doing them, there's just something really refreshing about, hey, I did that. I can do this. And <laughs> oh, then you're tinkering around. Well, and you're, and then, oh, look, you know, I could go do this, and I'll go do this. Right, and then exactly. I lose an hour yeah. stringing cables soon, in the basement. <laughs> pretty soon you're running electricity to you know outlets that aren't supposed to be there and First I not grounding the- things correctly <laughs> and starting fires. But, hey, it's a lot of fun. You're doing it. I like those moments. <laughs> we I like to wa- wave at them as they pass by because it's not my responsibility. We did get our washer and dryer delivered, so that was nice. Good. And my, we got our mower back, and it's working, working well. Uh, I did not mow. Too wet to mow? <laughs> well, I, I did mow Wednesday. I was did able to really? mow. I actually made the rounds on Wednesday. That's all I did was got the washer and dryer delivered and mowed. 
because I went over to my dad's because he was still over overseas and mowed his front yard and backyard. Went to my mom's and mowed mowed our yard and had the washer. Well, while you're while you're at it, why didn't you come over and mow my backyard? Because <laughs> it's barely, a jungle right now. I barely finished getting my mom's done in time for Sarah to get home. Ah. Like, I was going to string cable after that and didn't have time. And I didn't even fully finish my dad's front yard because a friend of theirs came by and was like, I was going to come mow. I have a riding mower. I was like, well, I've already done most of it, but you can feel free to take over and do the neighbor's <laughs> yard, which he, my dad's done. You can tell he's still early in the marriage. Now, at this point, 19 years later, <laughs> it's me calling going, yeah, I've got another hour and a half before I'm going to be home, none. Sorry. <laughs> She's already been home for an hour and a half. <laughs> Take your time. The kids are at your mom's. <laughs> well, that gives her some luxury time to herself, too. I think we had some sort of plan going on. We were going to do Wednesday night, but I don't remember what it was. So that was also why I wanted to. Well, yeah, then, that, then it doesn't fly because she's like, "Why aren't you here now?" <laughs> we were we're going to be uh, late. So. All right, <laughs> I've only mowed half the yard, but okay, I'll come home. <laughs> well, and that's what I kind of had to do with our yard because they were supposed to deliver our washer and dryer between three thirty and five thirty. Perfect. I can go do mom's. I can go do. It'd be perfect. No, never, they're never on time. Well, no, here's the thing. 3.30 to 5.30 really means anywhere between 1 and midnight. Well, <laughs> here's the thing. I got a call at 1 o'clock saying, yeah, we're running about a half hour early. Or no, it was like noon. We're running about an hour early. We'll be at your place in an hour. So I had to give up, stop mowing my dad's backyard and go over and then come back into his front yard. And I had to, and I, because I was gonna, okay, I can go do these two yards and then mow our yard wait, while wait, I wait, wait for the washer and dryer. Wait, to wait, show wait. Up. Then they actually showed up that hour. Yeah. Right? Holy cow! Where did you buy this dryer? Sears. Sears. We'll start shopping at Sears. Yeah. I'll because be, what 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 well, we're running same. an hour early means we had you scheduled at three. Normally we get there at six, but we're actually gonna get there at five now. Is what that usually means. <laughs> usually means, but yeah. <laughs> well, Sarah's parents bought the same washer as us. And that's how we found out about the great deal on it. And when they had it delivered the day before, and we went over there like 6, and it was supposed to be between 5.30 and 7, or 5 and 7, and it was already there. So they, whoever nice. they're contracting to deliver these things, they're <laughs> doing a great job. Sears. I'll write that down. Sears. It's more for your life at Sears. I did get some stuff watched. What would you watch? I went and saw Mad Max Road Fury, or Fury Road. I always do. I say, well, you saw the wrong film then, because it was <laughs> Fury Road. How was that one? I, I haven't watched it yet. I enjoyed it. I thought it was tonally, it was a little bit different than I expected. A little bit more serious of a tone than I, I expected. I I don't know if I just the trailers made it seem so manic and so ah, that I thought it was just going to be nuts and fun, and there was a bit more seriousness to the story that I didn't expect. But I really enjoyed it. I don't know if it was as amazing as for me as it was hyped to be, and that could be also it was just hyped that's so much. That's why and- I went and saw it the first weekend because that's <laughs> what happened to me. As I get there and I go, yeah, I'm a sucker for the hype. But it was superbly well done, and re- I'm really looking forward to more. I did watch, as I talked about last week, frequently asked questions of time about time travel. You guys need to watch this movie. <laughs> it. Almost reaches a uh, Edgar Wright Simon Pegg level. Really, it's nearly that good. 
Actually, one of the probably weakest part is probably Anna Farrah. Ferris. But she's not in it much. I'm just not a big fan of her as an actress. Um, there are all sorts of references all throughout it, including a great line that's, if you watch, like, the trailer that is on HBO Go, is it's included in it, so it's not a spoiler. I, I can't remember the character's name, but they paraphrase the line from Flash Gordon. I love you, but we only have 14 hours to save the earth. <gasps> they included this line into the movie. Okay. Yeah. I'm sold. Sold. Uh, first, when they first start talking about time travel, Time Lord gets dropped. <laughs> One of the characters is wearing a scarf, almost reminiscent of the fourth Doctor's. It act- I looked it up. Um, one of the actors played Shakespeare in Doctor Who. So there's that connection. And the writer of it is Jamie Matheson. Really? Yeah. So this was the first thing he had done, was write this movie. Okay. Now it's... Uh, yeah. For those that don't recognize the name, he wrote... Um, Murder... Or uh, Mummy Flatline on the Orient Express. and Mummy on the Orient Express. Yeah. In season eight. So... I highly recommend it. Chris O'Dowd is phenomenal in it, as he always is. Uh, and it's kind of a, the younger, uh, more IT crowd-esque, a bit more... I don't. It seems like his roles have started getting more um, cynical. Do you have a Scottish a- accent in this? A little bit. It's not as heavy. He showed up in uh, Girls that I've been watching on HBO oh, yeah. with a completely American accent. Well, he starts... And I went, the, movie starts <laughs> the movie starts with a segment of him with not his normal accent. And then he gets back to it once he's because he's playing a role in the very beginning of the movie, uh, so he's acting as an actor. It's one of those things. So it, he eventually gets back back to his accent, but it's not. Sometimes his ac- accent for me has been very hard to oh, understand. Oh, it's it is harsh. Yeah, and this one's turned he, back a little bit. Scottish is Irish. I think he's Irish. I think you're right. I think he's Irish. Oh, but there are yeah. some great lines in this movie. Like, it turns out in the future, everyone's American. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, it's, I, I really wish it was on Blu-ray because I would buy it. It's so enjoyable. What'd you guys do? I watched a couple movies this week. I watched The French Connection, which I had never seen. Really? Yeah. Well, it's kind of been on my list for a while. I'm just, you know, hadn't quite got to it. It's essential movie watching. I love 70 cinema. I, I just, I, I love the bleakness in a, in a way, which is weird for me because I'm such a happy guy, but, um... I, I like the fact that I mean, you know, you've got Gene Hackman, the muted earth tones and the yeah. sullen plot. What am I like? Melancholy plot and yeah. We've got Gene Hackman and he's he's playing this 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 cop named Popeye Doyle. If this movie had been made today, there would have been a conversation while we're sitting in the car on stakeout, and somebody would have asked him, "So where the name come from?" And there would have been this whole backstory about why he's named Popeye in the seventies. Nope, he's just named Popeye. Get over it. <laughs> it's based on book series. No, it's based on a true story. Yeah, but the books were written. Well, they, yeah, they, <laughs> they, they, wrote, they wrote a book based French on French Connection is actually based on the book, the French um, Connection, yeah, which is a true story. It. Well, somewhat true. I mean, mostly for the most true. Part, yeah, mostly Inspired true. by true events. Um, but yeah, it, 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 he's just Popeye. Get over it. <laughs> I, I, I just, there's a. There's a story. That's of, kind of the approach Fury Road had. It's, yeah, in a way. It's this. Get over it. And, and, you know, at one point in time, he's like, I, you know, I know the drugs are out there. I've got a hunch. And then this other cop says, oh, the Jimmy last, Popeye Doyle. That was his name. The, the, the last hunch you had got a good cop killed. And in today's movies, there would have been a whole exploration of what happened. Yeah. Now. And he would have been a, a very 
remorseful than they would have had to redeem him and all. No, Popeye's kind of a jerk, and they never explain the cop that got killed. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> I love that you just left this out there. What he didn't love is the ending. The ending of this movie is very ambiguous. Mm. And for 70s cinema, that's very appropriate because that's kind of one of the, one of the things. But it, it just, I mean, it's a great film. It is a fan. It's the second base car, second best car chase. Well, yeah. nah, we, we might have to conclude Fury Road now, but the second base <laughs> car chase ever filmed, the first still being Bullet. And, and it's amazing. And then he gets to the end and it's like, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if I've ever seen that one. It's totally worth watching. And of course, uh, I take it you haven't seen French Connection too. Then. I've not, but in my research on trying to figure out what happened at the ending, good. I read the plot and, uh, and what happened and kind of went, no, nah, I don't think I need to see it. It's not very good. Yeah. It's, it's, does they get Gene Hackman back for that? So one? much yeah. better. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, Ed O'Neill played Popeye Doyle in a television movie called Popeye Doyle. Um, and then I watched Ninja Turtles, the Michael Bay one. The, well, Michael well, Bay the Michael produced, produced one. one. Yeah. The most recent one. There are a handful of genuinely enjoyable, really good bits in that movie. You guys have or have not seen mm-hmm. it? Yeah. 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 We've both reviewed it, too. Okay, I don't remember that. <laughs> um, <laughs> we didn't expect you to. The, the, the mountain chase was great. Um, where they're going down the... the, the, the that, that was all cool. The, Although the plot, the, why they had to go there... I'll get to little... I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> they just had a cool idea for a mountain chase. And yeah, to get yeah. some place that they could do it. I think the problem with the mountain chase is I saw that clip, a good chunk of it, prior in the trailer. to yeah. well, not even the the trailer. They had released a, the a even longer clip of that online, uh, so I'd already seen all of that. Oh, really? Yeah, bummer. Um, but the mountain chase was cool. The but bit, I, there were other action scenes I thought that were pretty. Decent. The bit where they start beatboxing in the elevator. I mean, that, that, okay, yeah, this is... Also in the trailer? This was really good, uh, you know, characterization. I must not have seen that trailer then, because I don't remember that either. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I didn't care for the design of the turtles. Like, I don't like their faces. I still think their noses are weird. I like their but, bodies, but I don't like their faces. Yeah. But I, I bought everything else. I didn't like some of the characterization for Mikey. He was a little too juvenile, but again... A little again, too I, perverted. <laughs> pervy. I guess rather not perverted, pervy. I, I know they're supposed to be teenagers, but yeah. Yeah. but I, I was okay with that. Shell tightening and whatnot. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know the difference between perverted and pervy. Other, they were the same thing. Well, <laughs> I suppose pervy's an action, and perverted is a. Pervy adjective. seems less harsh. <laughs> I guess to pervy me. is too. Per- pervy's. I think they're funny. The, I think they're the same thing. Perverted is just the same idea. Creepy. Yeah, yeah. It, it, perverted <laughs> just has a harsher tone to it. I don't know why. Um, so Megan Fox, I'm convinced is a robot, <laughs> a badly programmed Japanese life model decoy. Cause she's not human. She attempts to act human and can't do it. I'm just convinced that she's, she's not, she's not one of us hmm. and she's not even that attractive in this film. I just well, we know that she's a robot because they screwed up, put toes on her f- thumbs instead of fingers. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, the plot. I mean, let's forget for a moment that they ripped off most of it from the Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna uh, spoiler territory ahead. I got to talk about this. So William Fitchner's character, who's revealed to be kind of you know the bad guy. Um, he's giving this whole spiel. He's doing the classic villain. He's monologuing and he's got the turtles and he's siphoning off their blood so that he can develop this mutagen. 
And he says in two hours, Shredder's going to go up and release this toxin on New York from the top of my building. That's the Superman or the Spider-Man joke. And, and then, you know, after about a 30 days or so, I'll come along and I'll develop this anti thing from the mutagen in your blood and save the city. And it'll make me stupid rich. Okay. First of all, he's up there going to release the gas in two hours and you just captured the turtles. <laughs> That's not a huge window for you to develop this thing. The plan was already in motion. You were going to obliterate all these people anyway, whether there was an antidote or not. Okay? you got to think about that there, pal. Secondly, your motivation, because it'll make me, quote, stupid rich. <laughs> Have you seen your house? You have a heliport on the front lawn. <laughs> you already are stupid You are already rich. stupid rich. How much further stupid rich do you need to be? No, no, no. He's dumb rich right now. <laughs> he's, he's dumb. Trying to re- <laughs> he's trying to achieve stupid rich. If I had a heliport on my front lawn, I'm sorry, I would consider myself stupid rich. <laughs> That's, that and a metal refrigerator. Those are kind of the bars <laughs> to, you know, to reach for. And then there's the whole... Oh, I remember you guys. You were my t- my pet turtles because my dad was the one working on this thing. And it's like, what? Really? You had- that part I didn't have much of a problem with. I did, it didn't make a sense to me that you would need to even go there. But they went there. I was like, eh, all right, whatever. There were some nice touches in that, though, because the, the colors on the back of the shells yeah. were still there when they were fully grown. Yeah. But At least they paid attention to details in that aspect. But it wasn't necessary. And then the, 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 the mind-blowing one for me was Splinter decides that the way to keep the boy safe is to teach himself jujitsu and then impart this, this information onto the kids from a book, from a book. He became a ninja master from a book reading this power. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mel and I uh, started arrested development. There's money finally, in the banana stand. Finally. I saw when you posted it on Facebook. I thought, oh, that, hopefully that means he is. That's started. what that means, yeah. She, she decided she couldn't get enough of, uh, of, of Arrow or Archer. She was, she was, I'm sad Archer's over. And I was like, well, we could watch this because the mom's in it. And she's like, okay. <laughs> and after two episodes, she's like, yeah, this show's awesome. And I was like, I told well, you. Well, you're going to want to watch what go back. Told me. After you watch the entire series, you want to go back and watch it again because you'll catch a thousand more things you didn't catch the first time. And it'll be a lot funnier because you'll realize there was a running joke going on the whole time. <laughs> so that was my day, my week. I didn't watch anything this week. Uh, I, well, I've, you're current on all your shows. I am. Uh, well, I've still air. got four episodes of Gotham <laughs> because I burned out on it. Um, I'll eventually go back and watch those. But I, I continue watching Girls, so I think I'm on season four now. I think it just started season four. And then uh, Mason this weekend was his Cub Scout campout. So we did that. We went out um, Saturday afternoon. And one of the scout leaders, she's actually in charge of the whole pack. Um, She arranged for, we were originally going to go up to Holton to an actual campsite, but they wanted to get, they wanted to be closer to town for some reason. And I can't remember what it was. I think because they weren't sure what the weather was going to be like Mm, or anything. And they thought if it opened up, we could, we could come home. Easier, so we actually camped out near Hoyt, at at her parents' house. They have just tons and tons of acreage, and their backyard goes up to a pond, and then along the backside of the pond, there's a trail that goes through some wooded area that actually adjoins to her aunt's house, and then around to the other side of the pond is her 
grandmother's house, and she's the one that actually owns the pond. So they're all they all kind of sit adjacent right around this pond area. And so we camped out there because the Boy Scouts of America now require, at least for the Cub Scouts, that you have a working restroom within so many feet from the campsite. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of stipulation. Well, for Cubs because they're so young. So we, we took out our – we have a four-man tent, which is – Reality of three man tent, but we have a four man tent. So I always consider took, tents half the amount of what yeah. Say. Well, it's, this isn't quite half because Mason and I were comfortable with enough well, room for probably somebody to lay between us. And then I, mean, uh, I guess when you have a younger kid too. Yeah, well, but or, or but I had the cot, the full size cot that uh, he was on, and I was on a full size. Well, not full size, but a twin size mm, air mattress, and uh, there was still enough room to get wow. another twin size air mattress. And it's a good size tent. And um, so Is we set upstairs. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like it's kind of like those ones like in Harry Potter Harry where you go Potter. in and it's bigger yeah. on the inside. And uh, so we set up the tent and uh, just real spent the day. Uh, some of the activities is uh, they had fishing poles out there that anybody could take. Well, all of the closed cast, real easy fishing poles were gone. They were all out. <laughs> all they had left were these open. Sided the ones that are on the bottom spin casters. Oh, no, 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 now, no, no, no. I had a spin casting reel when I was a kid, but I haven't fished since I was probably 11 years old. And I thought, oh, what am I going to do? Because there's nobody available to help him do this but me. And I thought, all right, we're going to give this a try because I, I sort of remember how to do this. So I went, we went up, and I remarkably remembered how to bait a worm with no problem. We took it down to the pond and we stood there on the shore and I looked at it and I went, Okay, this is coming back to me. So parents are like riding a bike because it all really came back to me. And I, I did, you know, because you, you have to hold it in such a way. You trap the line with your finger. You cast, you let go. You flip the little box back so that it catches the line so you can reel it in. And it went great. I went, oh, this is just second hat. Now. I mean, just this, apparently this stuck with me. This is wonderful. <laughs> so I showed him going, oh, now I'm going to show my seven-year-old son how to work this fishing pole. Am I kidding? So I said, okay, let me pass cast it out once so I remember how to do it. So I did it and cast it out as I really it in. Fish! <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, I pulled the fish up and realized I've never un- – my dad always took the fish out. <laughs> so I'm standing there going, help. <laughs> so, so Scott, one of the scout leaders, came down and I said, I need you to help me take this off of here because I've never done it before. And so he grabbed the fish, took the hook out. Gave us back. Still had some worm on there. So I gave the fishing rod to uh, rod and reel to Mason and kind of went through the motions with him. And he got it out the first time. And I was like, okay, that was good. And we reeled it in. He did it one more time with my help. Reeled it in. Grabbed that pole. Went over. From then on, he was on his own. The kid hey. just took right to that reel. And I was like, wow. <laughs> Which is a good thing because there was another kid next to me that didn't have an adult with him that couldn't cast... To save his life. And so I kept having to help this kid get stuff, get it out of the reeds and get it back, <laughs> cast it back out of the <laughs> So it's about that time I'm going, okay, this kid's working okay. Mason's doing great. He's over there, master fisherman, just praying that he'll catch a fish because he wants to catch a fish so bad. And Dad caught the first fish, first try. So I've already set the bar <laughs> way high. So this kid finally. That's why I don't fish, son. I'm too good at it. So finally, this kid to my <laughs> right, no fish left. <laughs> I hear. I got one. And I look around and I go, oh, good. And I look over and there's no other adult around. And the kid's really efficient and he looks at me and he goes, can you help me? <laughs> okay, I watched Scott do this. I can do this. So another kid takes off to get Scott because he's got to do it. Apparently, I was like, this guy's not going to know what the hell he's doing. 
the smart kid. I take the, I'll go get an adult. Stay here. Just like Scott did, I take the jig and I hold on to it. I put my finger in the fish's mouth because you put it on the bottom of the lip. Pull the hook out. I got the fish off. I'm like, okay. So I'm getting ready to take it back down to the pond and I look up. Scott's coming down and he's looking at me and I go, yeah, me. I got this. I got it. I got it now. We're okay. I got and he's like, handle. okay. So we throw it back in. Of course, you know, it's, we're doing catch and release. And uh, so then after that, we had dinner. Did Mason get a fish? Yeah, Mason did not get a fish. Oh. Then uh, we – so dinner was – Fish? No. <laughs> logical. No, the, the illogical oh, – no, no, I, I take that back. After we fished, we went on nature hike. I should go there first because they give the kids all of these – and this makes it sound like I had a horrible time, but I didn't. I had a lot of fun. And because Mason – had a blast. That was the important thing. So I'm always, you know, trying to keep because this is not my thing. I'm not a camper. I like to go out and camp. I love the outdoors. I don't like structured hardcore camping, which this isn't even hardcore, but this was too much for me. <laughs> but anyway, so they give these little charts out to the kids that have all of these different type of leaves that we're going to look whether you can look for on this on this hike. This chart of all these beautiful North American Central birds that you can spot. Uh, another list of all these tracks that we're, we can look for to see if we can, you know, determine what what made certain tracks. And then on one side is, of course, one that says "Leaves of Three, Let It Be," which those are poison oak and poison ivy. And there's mm-hmm. a big giant picture of poison oak on on this to make sure we stay away from it. We, we were all going together. Don't get me wrong; it wasn't just Mason and I trucking out into the woods. I don't know what I, I know. What oak and I, poison oak and poison yeah. ivy look like, and so. They give us these things, and it's everything's going right. We're tracking around the one side of the river or the uh, uh, pond, and we spot some deer tracks. And the kids are going, "Oh, and these are deer tracks." And, we, and we're keep moving, and we're getting into the trees. And I thought, okay, we haven't seen very many tracks, but we're getting into the trees, so we'll be able to look at some leaves. So as we get into the tree line, the first thing that Scott, the scout leader, goes, "Oh, come over here! Come over here!" I'm all excited. Oh, where are we going to look at? And he says, "See this down here." This is poison oak. Nobody go any further than this. It's all this is poison oak over here. Okay, this it's really bad. You want to get in there? Make sure that you know you, if, you're, if you. Of course, Mason's got shorts on, and I'm like, uh, okay, <laughs> all right. So we walk about six more paces, and he goes, "Okay, come, come over here. Look at this. Do you see this over here? This is poison ivy. So we're <laughs> gonna stay out of this. This is bad. It's so we spend probably thirty feet walking down this path, and everything is. Hey, this is poison ivy. This is poison oak. This is poison ivy. This is poison oak. This is poison oak. This is poison. Oak. And I'm like, oh god, okay, this can't get any worse. Until he gets up and goes, oh, come here, come here, we'll show you something. So we all go up, and he's he's touching a leaf on a tree, and I'm like, okay, we've we have found a leaf that we can identify. He pulls something off the leaf, and he goes, do you see this? This is a tick. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want these. In fact, I when we get back, to avoid, all well. of the kids need to be they maybe check for ticks. Everybody needs to check for ticks. Adults. Kids, check all crevices. We don't want ticks. We spend another 30 feet identifying every tick on the trail (laughs) amongst the poison ivy and the poison oak. We haven't looked at a dang tree yet. We haven't looked at anything worthwhile yet. The only thing we've seen so far are the deer track we we discovered the first time. So we get deeper into the woods, and we walk up to this tree that Scott's going, do you know what this tree is? And we're like, okay, we're finally going to Poisonous. He says, this is a, and I can't remember what he called it, something sage. He said, 
this is an invasive tree that aren't even they don't want in Kansas and they're they're bad, but they grow up and you can identify them because they have these really spiky little things. That's how you identify the male trees. They've got these spikes on them. I've got some of those growing in my. This is an ugly, deadly tree, and I'm going. Uh, okay, he says, you know, we we don't like these trees, but we know, you know, that there's there's they they, they suck the life out of trees around them. What? So now we've done <laughs> poison oak, poison ivy, bad ticks, bad. This weird sage tree, bad. Okay, moving on. So we go on down, and he goes, oh, oh I want to show you these. Okay, what is this? And it's these really tall shoot plants. That have all these little spikes on them and a top that's got this beautiful flower on the top. And when you look inside, it's got these prickly spikes on it. What is that? What is a prickly? I think he, I, I keep thinking he said prickly pear, but I think he said prickly something else. He says, you don't want these. These are evasive plants. Don't touch these. As soon as you but touch Baloo one, it will go into, yeah, it'll go right into your fingers and it'll burn and it'll sting and you won't be able to get rid of the pain for it. So now we've had poison ivy, poison oak ticks, these invasive trees, and now an invasive plant that we can't touch because it's beautiful and it'll sucker you into touching it, and then you get pricked by it, and it hurts. Scott's a ray of sunshine. Great. So, Scott's the still doctor. haven't seen any pretty birds. <laughs> we're going to take you on this tour of the universe, but first we're going to run a Dalek Cyberman. <laughs> still haven't identified any gorgeous trees. We clear the clearing of the woods on the other side. And they take us back into this little Juttendalf area. And he looks down and he goes, oh, leeches. (laughs) (laughs) He said, you don't have to worry about those. And I'm like, what? (laughs) He says, that's a pile of leeches and they're dead. (laughs) He goes, it must have been some animal's food. Because if you look over here, do you know what this is? This is scat. You know what scat is? Scat is animal droppings. So you know there's an animal in the area. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to look at the bright side of it. This At least there's an animal in the area that we might have a chance to see. <laughs> Scott scurries up another 10, no, 5 feet, 10 feet, 10 paces. Walks up, looks down, and goes, oh, come here. Everybody gathers around, and he says, can anybody identify these tracks? Okay, so all the kids are screaming. They're looking through there. The North American leech killer. <laughs> Finally, some little kid goes, I found it. And he says, okay, what is it? And he goes, skunk. <laughs> <laughs> and Scott says, good job, you're right. There's a skunk somewhere around here. So we're going to clear back and go around. <laughs> we went all the way around the, the lake. And saw everything that can hurt, kill, maim, or just completely make your day a misery. Never saw anything else. <laughs> and we got around and I thought, you have now horrified these kids. They're never going to go into the woods I'm again. panicked because now I think Mason has picked up poison ivy, poison oak, because he's walking through this treacherous area with shorts on. He's probably got 30 ticks on him because as we're walking back, he finds ticks on two of the other boys. <laughs> And we're leeches. all but running from a skunk that might be in the area. <laughs> and we get back, and thankfully it was dinner time. But there w- it was really a lot of fun because Mason was just enjoying it so much that it just was vicariously sucking up his enjoyment. Even though I was, my legs hurt by the end. I was exhausted. <laughs> I knew I was going to go home and find ticks, everything. But um, well, you know what? The kids probably learned. 
nature is dangerous. That's exactly the impression that I got. And I guess maybe and that's a, good to teach them young. And because it's by the lesson time, to learn. And you weed out the ones that are like, well, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> well, Mason's that. ready to go back. He wanted to go back camping out the next weekend. so Or wants to go camping out next weekend. So, um, The thing, though, that we did is I, I got home and I told him, I showers first thing you do. So he goes in there and, of course, I checked him over to make sure there was no... No ticks or anything. You got in the shower, got out. My turn. Take clothes off. Start checking. Tick. You had one. <laughs> I had one, but it was a little tiny, and it hadn't even it hadn't even clamped on yet. Oh, so good. I just crushed him, flushed him. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. He's gone. Anyway, that was my weekend. <laughs> Quite an eventful weekend. <laughs> Indeed, it was. Probably more than anybody wanted to know about my weekend. But oh. good thing I didn't do anything else the rest of the week. <laughs> First up in news, after being missing last year, Doctor Who is going to have a presence at San Diego Comic-Con. Yay! Yay. Peter Capaldi, Stephen Moffat, Jenna Coleman, and Michelle Gomez will all have a panel, all be on a panel. Yay! That's in July, is that right? That's in July. And so this is uh, Peter Capaldi's first ever... San Diego Comic Con. That's very cool. So it'll be very exciting for her and for him. And I'm pretty sure it's Michelle Gomez is also. I didn't see that reported anywhere, but I don't know her other stuff well enough to know if she had gone. Now, did Jenna go with uh, Matt a few I years back? I believe so. Because Two years ago. I do remember Matt, uh, Amy, and. Matt, Amy, and Rory. Rory. Or well, Arthur. Arthur and uh, <laughs> Karen. Uh, Karen, yeah. Yeah, the three of them went. And then the next year. Matt and Jenna win. Okay. And then the year after that, they didn't go. Right. I knew they didn't go Peter's first one. Well, very cool. Well, if anybody's going to be in San Diego on the weekend of Comic-Con and is going and you want to send us some correspondence, just, uh, you know, tell us how the weekend went and check in with us and you can either write to us or you can record some audio and we'll play it on the show. We'd love to have some frogs on the street. Yep. Speaking of conventions... Uh, I thought our, he was going to say, speaking of frogs. <laughs> our local Doctor Who convention has a pretty cool new feature they're going to have. They're going to play Celebrity Who's line is it anyway. The clever part is that the S and E in Who's is actually in parentheses. It's Who's line is it anyway. So participants will use Doctor Who-related props, cues, and script segments to develop comedy skits while competing for points and prizes alongside Doctor Who guests. Are they prizes of epic game show proportions? He did not put that in the in the article, so I don't know. Not everybody can be you, Sean. No, that's, <laughs> that's very true. Well, we're hoping that we everybody can, wants uh, to be, <laughs> no, but not everybody. Can. everybody <laughs> uh, we're hoping that, to be involved with that uh, as well because I think it'll be a lot of fun. So, at the very least, it'll be fun to be in the audience. Okay. Yeah, just watching would be a hoot. In uh, other news, uh, Peter Capaldi recently has said in Doctor Who magazine that he is very eager to see Carol Ann Ford rep- reprise her role as. Susan on the show. As I think a lot of us are. I, I think, think so that too. would be neat. It'd be quite interesting to revisit Susan at this age now. Oh yeah. And if uh you know, I mean because 
clearly a time lord, if they don't live as adventurous a life as the doctor, they can actually stretch their. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they can live a very. They can very live a very long time, long time in one in one generation. You know, uh, yeah, uh, one. What am I looking for? Is well, is, is, isn't it in the? Uh, wasn't it in the uh, animated uh, Shada that uh, when he comes back and Romana asks him what regeneration you're on, and he says, you know, seventh. And she goes, oh my God, you're burning through them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, because she's still on two. The same, yeah. But this all comes from uh, when Caroline Ford visited the set during last Christmas, and so she was talking to Doctor Who magazine about it. And saying how it was great and lovely to meet him, and she of course is willing and ready to reprise her role. Well, and she she has reprised her role in Big Finish much very oh, yeah. willingly to do so, and uh, she's come back a few times and done the role. So she she's still familiar with it, and she's still you know very much connected to the Susan character, and so I think that would be just wonderful to, I to have so her. Too. And while I would have loved to have seen her sooner, I think she and Capaldi will have... They would have such great chemistry. A, a special chemistry. I think so. Yeah. 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 Maybe even a a better one than maybe Matt or, or, or yeah. David or, or Chris would have because had. Because it, it it, I think it would kind of be like Tennant and Elizabeth Sladen's chemistry they had together. Yeah. Because he was such a fan and there was there's that aspect of it. And while Matt Smith had great chemistry with Elizabeth Sladen and Joe Grant, it just quite wasn't the same yeah. Yeah. when he was with them. Well, not to mention Capaldi's the closest to any of the doctors that would have been around at the time that Susan was <laughs> in fact, true. he would have yeah. been very young, but yeah. well, yeah. He'd have been quite young when she was a companion, but I think he would have been around because he's fifty He's fifty. Maybe he's fifty-six Five? now. We've had 56. a birthday, haven't we? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, just recently, I think. Yeah, so so he would have at least been old enough to see her departure and remember it, Indeed. at the very least. So. Yeah, very cool. Bring I'm it on for that. I'm Ooh, ready for Susan. Yeah, bring it on. Uh, and our last bit of news is that Big Finish recently announced uh, back in March that they had gotten the Doctor Who license to for another five years. But now they are saying that the main range is going to continue until March of 2020 at least. Yay! Which is encouraging, and I absolutely love this. Um, I, I can't help but wonder at one what point the one, two, three, four, five guys that are still participating <laughs> as doctors might, although they, they really put them on a good spread-out schedule where they're really only doing like three a year because as they alternate through doctors. It would be just the Four for the main. Oh, range. you're right. It would be four for main. Range. Well, they could, Paul, but they could Paul bring. Is now off is on his own again. Well, and they, but they could bring. Uh, well, and 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 Tom's never been part of the main range, yeah. with the exception of the 50th anniversary, which in itself is not part of the main range. Yeah. It's its own thing. So really, there's only three of them that are officially the, still in the main, main range, range, and yeah. Tom and but but they can always be brought into the fold. Yeah. But what my point is, of the five guys doing Doctor Who for of the five doctors, yeah, uh, of uh, that are doctors. I can't help but wonder if they would look at five years and go, and you know, I, I've I've committed since. I mean, three of them at the very least. Well, even Paul was around back then. Have committed since they they launched in what ninety nine, ninety eight, ninety nine, twenty one years ago. I think I yeah. So I mean, it's it's amazing that they've been around this long, and I think we've been very blessed that they enjoy Absolutely. doing it. Um, they like to do it because they can bring continue that the the to do those characters that they they obviously still love because they do them but not have to worry about the ardent 
you know, television schedule and costumes yeah. and things like that. Well, and that's the nice thing is they – it's enjoyable and it's not time-consuming. Yeah. They go into they go a in studio two days for two days and they're and, done. Yeah. But I, I, and sometimes I, for a whole year I kind of wonder done. at what point do you know any of the get three tired of to five that? guys go, you know, I'm just really tired. But they don't seem to be. And so that's very encouraging. And but, th- but, to, but to put another five years on it kind of makes me wonder if they say, well, let's, let's, can we do this a little more clever and figure the schedules out a little differently? I, I would think that because of the way they do them, I, I imagine that it's very much a, okay, you're going to come into the studio for, you know, a week. And but you're going to record. Usually not even a week. Yeah. They're usually in there for two days. I think there's one day of reading and then two days usually in studio. And that's it. And if you do that four times a year, that's hardly any days out of the Yeah, year. exactly. So, I mean, it, it can't. And all of these guys that we're dealing with, I mean, at least a, a, when you when you talk about the main ones, you're talking about the ones that have been there from the beginning. We're talking about Peter Davis and Colin Baker and Sylvester McCoy. The, they've all expressed over and over and over again what a joy it is to work with Big Finish, how happy they are to do it, mm-hmm. that they love doing it. I don't think they're going anywhere. Uh, bringing Paul into the fold, the fact that they've kind of spun his doctor off into his own little things with these box sets and whatnot, that they're kind of main range related, but not necessarily, depending on how you want to look at it. I, I think that's just kind of how they're choosing to encapsulate the eighth doctor. Agreed. Um, he's obviously happy to continue to come back. Tom's kind of the unknown element, but... As long as they keep him happy, and even if he's off in his own little thing, eh, you know, okay, whatever. So. Well, I, I think that was a calculated move to give Tom his own starring vehicle, I think is what sweetened the pot for bringing him back. Yeah. Um, not that, I, like I say, I, Tom's enjoying him, if Tom is enjoying himself, and he seems to be, I, I could see them folding him into uh, main range, especially knowing that, you know, he's he's getting he's the oldest of the bunch. And he's slowing down, and maybe him knowing that instead of coming in and doing, you know, an entire season of his own stuff, being put into the fold and getting a little, you know, lighter schedule in his old in his golden years, that might even be encouraging for him as well. Yeah. So. Uh, Big Finish is also offering a subscription price at three hundred fifty pounds that will take you all the way through twenty twenty. So you can start does now. That include back catalogs, or is that starting now too? Starting with uh, between. Story number 216 and 221. If you're able to start from 221, you'll be placing an order for every single episode from January 2017 to March 2020. So there you go. <laughs> and that will save you $200, 200 pounds. The good news is that uh, that's going to give us plenty of material for this show to continue <laughs> for five more years at the very least. So This just in, Traveling the Vortex announces they'll be on the no, air. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. Not that we're going anywhere anywhere time soon, but I want to lock us into five years. You all heard that here first. Glenn <laughs> is the dissenting vote. Glenn's the Paul. He's the Paul. Well, if you hadn't brought Yoko on board, I might not. <laughs> you brought Yoko on board. <laughs> that it? For news. God, I'm not the Yoko, am I? Tell me who's, about no, 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 who's no, no, the Yoko? no, no, no. We don't have a Yoko. Oh, good. Good. Wouldn't we technically need a fourth to then to be able to have a fifth be Yoko? I was just truncating the quartet to a trio, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Up next is our Doctor Who Legacy tip of the week. We're going to do kind of a truncated tip. Uh, we didn't. I, I didn't have a lot of time this week, but I did just want to quickly point out, in conjunction with my last week's tip, that um, there is a. Uh, level that uh, you can do in conjunction with last week's tip 
if you recall last week, I talked about the chapter two story, Wedding of River Song, Weakest Link, which was the one where you could go in, and I still never looked up Mark Annis's actual character name, <laughs> but uh, the opponent in the live chest in the episode, Wedding of River Song, uh, that is a single enemy, one wave, pretty easy to tackle level that if you've got a pretty decent uh, character roster on a team and you could take, you know, other characters in there that are very low and level up quickly because the experience is, is, is a, a good, pretty good amount. Uh, I wanted to point to that this week with the 150 experience point being moved to chapter three, the one, and there, there may be others, but in chapter three, Tobias <laughs> Zed is another one of those chapters where when you go into it, it is a single enemy one wave that is relatively manageable. Now, I will warn people that whereas last week's, you could go in with a pretty, probably even team of 30 or 40 and manage it well. I would not suggest trying to do this level with very many low low levels on your team. In fact, I'd have at least a 40 on what there, maybe more. It? It's in Chapter 3 and because that's where they've moved the 150 oh, yeah. uh, this week. Um, but it's Tobias Zed, and obviously that's that's Toby, who you do. I think you actually drop him in this level as a companion. Um, but if you go into this one, it's another one of those ones that's quite an easy tag, uh, take. It does drop the upper tier uh, time fragments, so you're not going to get some of the lower ones that you frequently need mm-hmm. more often. There's no blues, reds, yellows, greens. Um, they, it does occasionally drop a pink. But if you're looking for one that... Um, I can do it. I, I, I want to say it's like 3,200 experience. I haven't finished the level yet, so I couldn't tell you exactly. But when I get a good setup here, I want to say it's like 3,200, somewhere around there, uh, experience. So, again, another large dose of experience for one. But, again, I wouldn't suggest going into that level with uh, with very low uh, level nice. teams. That's a simple, quick one. It's kind of a repeat of last week, but I wanted to point out that there is a ch- uh, option to do that. Um, I did also want to take this moment to thank somebody last week who, as you remember, I was saying that it was uh, in the one of the other benefits of playing the we- Wedding of River Song uh, Weakest Link is because when you, you in the fan area is where most people go and they play the Ginny level because that is another one wave uh, level and you can quickly. Um, level up that way as well if you're doing it. And we were just pointing out that if you went into Chapter 2 last week, you would get the 150-plus, you would have a better option of dropping pink time yeah. fragments. And it was pointed out to us this week by, um, oh, it's at Cherie McDonald. Thank you for listening to the show. She pointed out that there are actually three levels at least that drop pinks in the fan area. The one that I mentioned, which was um, Fragment Hunt Pink, which I knew of, and I had forgotten that last Christmas and Fragment Hunt Random also dropped pink in the oh. fan area now. So you you do have some more options in the fan area to get pink time fragments. <clears throat> Unfortunately, those three, the uh, experience level isn't very high, so it was uh. still kind of a benefit to be doing that in the one we pointed out that last week, but I did want to point out that I was incorrect and she corrected us and we certainly appreciate that as well. Oh, and, that was and your that's your Doctor Who legacy tip of the week. Shall we move on to, uh, do we want to talk any more about legacy while we're here? We might as well. You guys got anything to bring up? Sean, you had something you'd forgot to talk about last week. Do you want to talk about this week? No, I'm good. 
<laughs> For real? Yeah. Okay. All right. Like I said, Mel beat chapter uh, chapter three. You don't want to talk about the loading screen? Oh yeah, the loading screen. <laughs> Have you guys noticed the loading screen is 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 witty? <laughs> it is witty, <laughs> and it changes sometimes. It's not the same every time it, I load the game. It, instead of just loading, it brings up these little things like um, you know, cleaning the pool and uh, <laughs> or, or adjusting sick bay, or I, mean, I think maybe it's cleaning yeah, sick bay. Cleaning sick bay. Um, Fixing fast return switch. <laughs> Tracking Davros. So as you as you staring wait. at weeping angels. <laughs> As you wait for it to load, one. you get to uh, you get to read little funny things. Yeah, I thought that was kind of clever too. It amuses me. I like it. It's it it's it's that's the interesting thing too is is the Tiny Rebel <coughs> Games team, the Doctor Who Legacy team, they really know how to just add little bits and pieces that make this fun. Even if it's it's not you know adding a new level or new levels. Or adding new characters, or every week they're doing something just a little bit different to add to the nuance of this game. And I think that that's just, it tells you how much that team loves this game. We're more than a year in, and they're still showing the love uh, to fans and their their enjoyment of producing this game for fans. And I think I, I, I can't but rave more about how <laughs> I, I just think this game is phenomenal and that team is wonderful. So we thank you. I was wrong at the level I'm at. I'm at Dalek Legacy. Well, how far is that? Is that past Tobias? No. Oh. <laughs> so you're still blue. So this tip's going to do nothing, nothing for, for Keith. And as, it's just past the Charlie levels. As Sean pointed out last week, um, it's going to do nothing for Time Lord Ben, who has maxed everybody out. <laughs> Speaking of Time Lord Ben, he is first up with feedback. Ben writes, here's what I did this week. Hey, guys. Sorry I've not written in for a bit. I've been listening, though. I did get a big chuckle during the last episode when Sean mentioned me during the the Legacy Tip of the Week. I continue to stay up on the game in terms of having all the characters and maxing out stars and level-wise. Getting there was a chore, maintaining it, not so much. I've run out of tips for the game, per se, but I've noticed that the reflect, reflect attack is back in play. And I had yes. it had oh, made gosh. a debut a while back, but it had been removed due to it not working properly. My tip would then be to pay close attention to the color being reflected back and yep. not matching those gems <laughs> for the number of turns indicated in the opponent's attack. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you that that really dogged Where me. Where is that at? Uh, it's in the it. it's in the chapter uh, four levels, uh, and that really dogged me. And that goes back to Lee giving us that tip that don't. Rely oh, on single, single color colors. teams because I was playing. Fortunately, because most of my characters are level fifty, they've at least got two colors. But I was playing a a very dominant yellow team that everybody had a yellow, and that was their primary color. And I ended up on against somebody that was reflecting back yellow. So what <laughs> happens is when you hit them, they the damage, damage you back because uh. it's reflecting some of your not all of it, but it's reflecting some of your damage back onto your team. Worst and, attribute. Oh man, I, you know, but I lo- I love it That's because it, it adds a new element oh, yeah. to the it's, game. It's, it's but boy, that dogged me for a while because I thought, oh, I got to go in here and find a different team to play this with because it is just not working out for me. Uh, ben continues with next an apology to Glenn. I've not been involved in the book club for a while and therefore I've not been on Goodreads a lot. <laughs> I popped in there to update a book I'm reading. I noticed that he had sent me a friend request there three months ago. Whoops. 
That is certainly okay, Ben. That's that, uh, Goodreads is one of those things that I... Did you rectify it? Are you friends now? Yeah, we are friends Goldie now. was hanging, Ben. He did, uh, and I appreciate your response. Um, those are some of those things when I get... when I. I get suggestions as to who I know that's on Facebook or oh, Twitter, yeah. and they, it, it, it often tips me off and says, hey, your so-and-so friend is on Goodreads, and, uh, or, or even if I come across them in comments like the book club, I think, is where I stumbled across uh, Timeler Bennett. And so if I know who they are, then a lot of times I'll, I'll send the friend request or, or okay you know, the friend request uh, request. And so it, it, it's one of those things that it, you don't – there's no need to apologize <laughs> Because when, just when you sent me that, I, yeah, it was just as bad because I thought, oh, yeah, I'd forgotten. I'd sent that. <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't like I was waiting on bated breath, but I certainly am glad that we are friends on uh, Goodreads as well. So I could read some of your reviews of some of the things that you've done. Moving on, my free comic book day comic arrived in the mail this weekend. Yay. I've yet to read it, but plan on doing that tonight yet. I enjoyed the post-it note attached immensely. The personalized note along with the art was really nice. Good job, Sean. You're very welcome. Did you put art on there, too? I doodled, yes. Ah, I didn't see the doodle. I just saw Scarves? That. Did they all get scarves? Or did they, oh, they it wasn't. All, I do they remember seeing They scarf. all got a little something different. Ah. Well, write in and tell us what you got on your doodle. Or take pictures. He, he, or take pictures. Did, That's what Time Lord Ben did. He tweeted us. Yeah. Uh, just as a, a side note, since he brought it up, uh, we should mention this is the start of a new month, and therefore the book club. Is the start of a new book. Um, the book for this month is Lethbridge Stewart, The Forgotten Son. Stealing Holly's Thunder. Did she talk about that? <laughs> I think she did. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. We'll talk about it again. Never mind. <laughs> she may not. She usually does. I kind of skimmed through her uh, I, feedback. I haven't, I haven't show, read so. any of the feedback yet. So I just, uh, hey, hey, there's a segue. <laughs> <laughs> I'll sit quietly and wait. <laughs> we, I know something else we could point out, but I'm afraid that somebody, one of the uh, ladies, have also pointed this out in their feedback. So I'm waiting until feedback's done before I say anything about it. Well, let's move on to feedback. Lastly, I finally <laughs> you mean move back into feedback. move back into feedback. <laughs> Lastly, I finally got around to filming my Doctor Who smartphone controlled canine. It has been posted on YouTube as it ran eight minutes and five seconds in length. I tweeted the link to the Travel Vortex Twitter account. Wait, the video or canine? Because you got ripped off of canine. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on the episode, that's about right for battery <laughs> life. Uh, battery depleted. <laughs> I tweeted the link to the Travel Vortex Twitter account, but it can also be searched directly on YouTube using the above description. There's more than one video of that toy. Mine is posted by Ben Reed and runs the aforementioned time. So there's a uh, link we should include in the show notes, Erglin. I filmed it myself. I'm no professional, so please accept any apologies for my wonkiness. <laughs> I believe that's it for the moment, guys. Thanks for everything. Take care. Time Lord Ben. That wasn't everything, however. <laughs> <laughs> and he wrote back saying, I knew I would forget something. <laughs> I meant to mention in my first email that this week I watched a few movies. Hence the what I watched this week. I got HBO Now just prior to Game of Thrones starting this season, but until now I've yet to watch anything else. So this weekend I explored a little. I first watched Ender's Game. I really liked it. Now, I don't see movies the same as you guys. The thing, Things like lighting, camera angles don't generally register with me. Having said that, this was a great movie to me. I know that recent, recently one of you guys have mentioned the sequel was unlikely. I hope that's not the case. 
The next day, I watched Divergence. Again, awesome movie. In this case, assured of a sequel. My cousin who lives in L.A. is now working on that film, Insurgents. Didn't the Insurgent already come Insurgent out? Insurgent came out. Allegiance, the next one. That must be what he's working on. He's applying 3D effects to that film. Both Ender's Game and Divergent are movies I would highly recommend and would definitely watch again. Anyhow, that's really it this time, guys. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Time Lord. No, wait a minute. Not everybody pays attention to lighting and camera angles and things like that. That just seems not. crazy. That does seem crazy. What, the, what is wrong with you? Crazy talk, Ben. What is wrong? <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Ben. Good to yes, hear from you thank again. Thank you very much. Up next is Chrissy. Chrissy writes, before River Song, there was Bernice Summerfield. Dear Vortex Boys, quick correction from last week's podcast. The guy who played Siegfried in All Creatures was Robert Hardy, who actually played Cornelius Fudge, the Minister of Magic in Harry Potter, not Barty Crouch. Yep. You are correct, Chrissy. I thought about that as soon as we signed off. Like I, I did, too. I, I wasn't watched you guys off. off. It was and after I got home and I was editing, and I thought, should I insert something as an edit going, um, footnote, but I just left it alone. And, yeah, I, I thought of it literally, like, right as I started to drift off to sleep, I woke up in a panic and I went, <gasps> Fudge! <laughs> But yeah. he didn't say fudge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Professor Bernice Summerfield. She is definitely a character that I've been meaning to get into more of her stories. But then I go to the Big Finish website and see how many stories they have in her range, and my wallet screams in terror. <laughs> but by going these two audio stories, I might just tell my wallet to be quiet and get some of her stuff anyway, because now I want to hear more. Or I could read the Bernice Summerfield books if I can find them for relatively cheap. Shadow of the Scourge. The main thing I noticed about this one was how adult it was. Not overtly, but there was more grown-up topics dealt with this, particularly with the characters that were trapped in the hotel and the fears and regrets they had. Things like ex-lovers and new babies and stuff with older parents and some others that I can't remember right now, but I probably will later. Even Ace and the Doctor seem a bit more mature in their personalities than they do when they're in other stories. Maybe that's a product of the Bernice book series being more adult, or so I've heard, so that element carries over into the audio stories with her. I don't know, but it's certainly something I noticed. As far as the story goes, it was pretty good. Not my favorite, but enjoyable still. Definitely something that could only work in audio. The Dark Flame. I will probably have to listen to this one again to get the full effect of what was going on. Either I wasn't paying attention very well, likely, or there were so many twists and surprises that it was hard to keep up with it. The Doctor is definitely in his sneaky grand chessmaster mode, which is fun to see if a bit creepy. Ace is full-blown brawn to the Doctor's brain, but even more so than on TV. But I do like Ace and Benny's friendship, almost like sisters. They play off each other really well, and they're great foils to one another. It almost seems like a mature version of Jamie and Zoe, where they have great chemistry and teamwork together, and they both just roll with whatever the Doctor's doing because, well, that's just the Doctor. I think that relationship is what I like best about these two stories. Bernice and Ace playing off each other. I kind of hope there are more stories with these two as companions. That's all I've got. I did get my free comic book day prize. Thanks again. I didn't make it out for free comic book day, and I was kind of bummed that I didn't, so I'm glad you all gave me a second chance to get one. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you later. Bye for now. Chrissy. Thanks, Chrissy. Thank you, Chrissy. And our last bit of feedback. Comes but not least. But not least. From Holly. Holly writes, The Shadow of the Scourge and Dark Flame. Hey, guys. I have to say that I really enjoy the pairing up of the Seventh Doctor, Ace, and Bernice. 
I wouldn't even mind if Bernice and Ace went off on some of their own adventures. Bad guys beware. <laughs> Both audios were good and moved along at a good pace. I'm also trying to go off of memory here. It's been a while since I listened to them last. I do remember chuckling to chuckling myself chuckling in the shadow of the scourge when the doctor being led around the crafting areas and mentioning something about cross stitch. I thought the doctor was more of a knitting sort of guy, unless that's the eighth doctor. In the doctor, <laughs> in the dark flame, I love how the doctor mentions that he is like the butterfly in the butterfly effect. Though I do think he's gone, he's done more harm, good than harm. A brief note before I wrap up: a reminder that the June book of the month <laughs> for traveling the vortex book club on Goodreads is Lethbridge Stewart, The Forgotten Son by Andy Franken Allen. Franken Allen. Looking forward to hearing everyone's thoughts on these two audios. Holly from Wisconsin. Thank you, Holly. Thanks, Holly. Thanks for that reminder, Holly. I was, uh, I, I, I didn't know that. And <laughs> I'll use this to segue into another thing that the ladies over at the Five-ish fan, fan girls um, tend to spearhead from time to time, and particularly Brittany. If you'll go to, there'll be a link in the show notes, uh, a geeky, a geekygirlwithoutabox.blogspot.com. She has posted, and they have collectively come up with this list, the 30 Days of Channel Surfing Photo Challenge. They're stepping away from the usual ABCs of photo challenges to do this one. Um, she says, since most of our shows are on their breaks until fall, I have decided on TV, a TV show theme for June. So my fellow hosts over at the Five-ish Fangirls podcast and I came up with the entries for each day of June, and here's the list. Let me read the list or just post it. Just read what we did today. Well, just to give everybody a day one was favorite opening titles. So we all posted. This was a tough we're, one. We're all it was a tough you one. You even posted today, right? I Sean? did post yeah. today. So we look at me uh, on day one. <laughs> on day, on one. day one. On day one, you weren't playing catch up. With the ABCs, I almost feel like it can be. You know, because you know, there's only 26 of those in a whole month. I want to give people some things That's to look forward to at the end. <laughs> but when you put it day one, it's like, oh, now I got it. <laughs> now I'm committed. I, I was impressed with myself last month because not only did I not, did I, not only did I not fail the challenge and drop off like halfway through, which I've been known to do, but I actually, for the most part, with a couple of, with the exception of a couple of days, stayed caught up because I, I did do day by day. I think I. I I had come in on day three, so I did have to catch up my first three. And I think there was another one in the middle there at some point that I had forgotten and posted later and then posted another one. But I was actually patting myself on the back for <laughs> completing that challenge. I, I was in a bit of a panic because I, ha I had it planned out that, okay, so I got up to you. And I was like, well, great. I've got like a whole week left, it seems like, at the end of the month here that I can you know, I'll do a couple on this day and a couple on this day to finish it out and be done. And then – Kind of spaced it off and got up to, oh, today's the 31st, and I have five of these things I post. And of course, I had thought about them ahead of time and kind of sort of knew what I wanted yeah, to do and yeah. then got to one of them that I, I hadn't thought about and was like, that. oh, yeah. no, this is a hard letter, too. So, yeah. Most of us do that until we hit that letter and we go, I'll come back to that. And then the day comes and you're like, oh, I'm on that letter. Yeah. <laughs> that was the hard one because I skipped it. So I hate when I make a list last and forget minute. I make a list. And then... You ever get mad at yourself like you have a perfect one and you're like, yeah, and then you kind of forget that you had that one all set up and you go and you do something else oh, and then yeah. you think about it afterwards yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah. I've done that multiple times. I did that, yeah. 
but this one looks like a lot of fun. It's all TV themed and uh, TV based, and uh, there's a lot of good ones on here. And we will actually we'll post a link to the list when yeah. I post the list. We're going to post a link to the list, and you can go to the uh, to uh, Brittany's website and um, look at their collaboration. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Are we ready to review? We're ready for review. Yes. Uh oh. <laughs> Buckle up, kids. It's going to be a long cast. <laughs> the shadow of the scourge. Just, oh wait. Sorry. <laughs> scroll. Scroll. Stupid computer. Scroll. <laughs> That's a terrible synopsis. <laughs> I didn't get anything. I didn't, out I didn't of get that. any of that. Wow. Sorry, my computer's not wanting to scroll. I blame TARDIS Wikia. Hold on. <laughs> Go. Well, quit letting TARDIS Wikia do your homework. <laughs> it's got my synopses. Oh. Let me explain. No, no, it's too much. Let me sum up. <laughs> Two weeks in a row. Good one, Sean. <laughs> Get more material. Have <laughs> <laughs> I done that one before? Last week. Really? <laughs> I assume he says this on a daily basis. Sometimes I think he does this to put us on. He can't really not forget that much stuff. No, I assure you, I can. <laughs> All right, I wow. got it working. Hey, I had an idea. Let's do a Doctor Who podcast. <laughs> we could get together. It would give us an excuse like every week to see you guys. And we could talk Doctor Who, which who needs an excuse for that? I was waiting for him to say, you know what? Have you guys seen this Charlie, Charlie, Charlie? <laughs> Did we talk about that? <laughs> no, I don't want to talk about that because he lives at your house. <laughs> no, he's not my house. Mr. He I was trying to discourage me from coming I to this needed. house. I think he thinks I'm going to come here and excise you. No, he's going to encourage you to drop every single piece of equipment you own. <laughs> he lives at your house. You keep bringing it up. We're going to have to tell people what happened. <laughs> Go ahead, Keith. The Shadow of the Scourge. The Pine Hill Crestma Hotel in Kent is host to three very different events. A cross-stitch convention, an experiment in time travel, and the summoning of the Scourge. The Seventh Doctor, Bernice, and Ace find themselves dealing with a dead body that has come back to life. A mystical symbol that possesses its host and a threat from another universe that is ready for every trick the Doctor's got up his sleeve. This time, has the Doctor gone too far? Now. Now. Dun, dun, dun! Glenn man, loved it. Man, I loved this story. Oh. I'll tell you, the, the, something adds to it, because I, I think maybe if I hadn't come into it this way, I probably would not have enjoyed it. It still was. It would have been a great story. The, the 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 number one thing I keyed in on this story, and to an extent, the next one that we're going to do as well. These are very much set in line with the same tone, feel, sound, story, darkness, flavor. edginess, flavor of the. And I've only read three or four so far. The Virgin New Adventures, which if you don't know, these are actually set during that time. A common theme in Doctor Who fandom is these are what are called, and the Virgin New Adventures are what are called, sidesteps. The reason why it's been 
phenonically <laughs> named that is because a lot of the things that happened in the new adventures because they were quasi licensed meaning virgin took the stories and ran got the license and ran with it they aren't always considered continuity because for those that track continuity because they don't necessarily jive with Classic and new. Mm -hmm. You can't really bridge the two with them in most cases. I I seem to find my head can and work it around so that I can when when it necessitates that. But um, but these are these are actually set between uh, all consuming fire and blood harvest, and those were two stories in the Virgin New Adventures. So these that if you're going to Take these and put place them in some sort of continuity time stream. That's where they go. And what what number was this? Number so we determined it was seven or thirteen. Was it seven? Thirteen. It was thirteen. Okay. I am so impressed that Big Finish so early on felt that it would be a neat idea to set an adventure in that quote unquote universe. Yeah. Because with classic who, I think they were, it was probably at the time close enough to the Virgin new adventures, having still been fresh in a lot of fans minds who that's how they continued their fandom was through the new adventures. But when they started this series out, they particularly went and did five, six, and seven stories that were very well connected to the classic series. And nothing that would really had come after the classic series had, had finished on television. And certainly, you know, between the movie and mm-hmm. uh, survival. And so I, I was very impressed that they chose to do something in this quote-unquote universe. And just listening to these really sparked that excitement that I had when I read the Time Worm uh, Tetralogy. Um, There's just a certain edge to the Doctor. There's a certain style. There's a certain darkness. There's something that I felt that had the Cartmel Master Plan been allowed to continue beyond Season 26, I think this is kind of where we would have gone with the Doctor. Well, and especially with the manipulative it's... Doctor that we yeah, had. Yeah, yeah. And the exploring his more darker side, his more, his his anger and his um, uh, insecurity. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. it, it, it tackles a lot of that. And it just, just for that sheer alone, the, the story is good. It's a solid story. It's I thought it was quite enjoyable. I you know from one turn to the next I, I didn't know what was going to happen but just that scope and feel of it was enough to just suck me right into it and again I'm coming from having read four of the novels and it this actually excited me to continue in fact I've picked up Cat's Cradle now and I'm getting ready to start it this week as well so just for you uh, for you continuity gurus um, this story is actually set <laughs> where did it go this really makes him sound bad doesn't it? Is it between all-consuming fire and blood harvest? Did you Sean? do that? Yes. Oh, I, didn't that. I stepped away from. Did one. you forget already? <laughs> I stepped away. That's, I know. That's why I said this makes him sound really bad if we let him go through with this without explaining that he walked away. You should stop. He me. went to the he went to the little vortex in the bathroom. I did. Um, the little vortex in the bathroom. 
Gary Russell comments in Glenn's Big Finish Companion Volume 1, which I'm going to pick up and read out of because he never does. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to, but then you grabbed it. Paul was one of the first writers I approached when Big Finish got the license. Naturally, I wanted Paul to write me a Doctor Who that had the character of Bernie Summerfield in it. We had to wait a bit because Virgin and the BBC were still a bit iffy about each other, and Stephen Cole said we'd be better off waiting for the upper echelons to cool off. So we did. Had to make a few changes to it, but I think it's a very Paul-like script and very true to the new adventures. Says Gary Russell. So that fits right in with what you were saying. That, Qualifies that, that, what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd read that as well. Um, not while you were gone. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't let you just repeat something again. Um, anyway, what did you guys think of it? Because, I mean, I, I, I'll certainly chime in when we talk about some of the plot details. But what did you guys think? I found it very enjoyable. It, it, it I agree. It has that dark seventh doctor that I've kind of grown to expect from the big finish and even more so in this like it compared to the other big finish that they've done with him this takes him the darkest i think he's gone and i i found it fascinating to listen to and bernice was such a great character throughout the entire thing that kind of helped balance out that darker doctor and let ace kind of be in between and almost to some extent fall a little bit back but then be able to do some really bold things with her character like piercing her eardrum so she can go deaf and still have Bernice to be able to do the other ace things that ace couldn't, can't do. So there, there's a lot about it that I really liked. Um, I can't speak from experience, as I said, cause I haven't read a lot of the, the new adventures, but the, at one point in the new series, ace actually leaves. Oh, they reference she it. Goes, in right. This. She goes off yeah. and she joins space fleet and becomes a Dalek hunter. Yeah, and in fact, yeah, I think there's a that. story, uh, I think it's Deceit, where she actually works alongside a clone of Absalom Dak, <laughs> Dalek killer. <laughs> and so that's where the, the reference Thank to the... Thank you for finishing his, his name. <laughs> <laughs> so the, that's the reference to the, the device that she's the, using that yeah. she describes as something they use to pry the domes off of uh, yeah. Daleks. And, of course, you've seen some of the art where she's in the complete black jumpsuit with the... Aviator glasses. That was certainly yeah, her yeah. look at the time in the books as well, because that was kind of the the space fleet um, look. Uh, so, so is that also post Colditz direction? There, it going is post Colditz, and that's the interesting thing is, and, the, the, I, and I picked up on she this. She leave with the same. Well, I had picked up on this. I think I, I brought this up when we had done Colditz, and uh, what was the one where they go to South America or Latin America, and uh, she meets her brother right did we do that one or no yeah no, 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 no i don't remember that one. <laughs> i got to think of it. Rapture. Do that rapture. the rapture the rapture, rapture that's yeah. what it was yeah um ace had started down a path in uh the new adventures where she her character really changes even in the first four books that i read her her character really starts to evolve and change and become a much darker and more brooding and more um I don't want to say sinister, but on the side of just cold. She's very cold. And what I think I liked about the early big finish that we listened to that had the seventh Doctor and Ace is it was kind of this middle ground between survival where they left off and where I feel a time where uh, Genesis picks up. And so they've kind of felt in that fill, uh, filled in that area where I think they even big finish thought, you know, well, let's explore this and trend her towards the ace that we begin to get in the new the new adventures. And so, yes, Keith, this is sort of 
on the heels of some of those we've already um, where where it's, she's going towards that direction. Yeah, where and we implying we, that she's, she's going to leave and exactly. And in back. fact, at one point, she talks about um, she just called herself McShane to people in the um, Colditz story, and she was she even kind of meddled with the idea of just going by McShane. Well, I believe if I if my that was research, where we left off, I think in if the last my research one was they call me McShane. Uh, if my research yeah. is correct. She actually – that's what she does is she, she becomes this very hardened warrior. Um, the doctor, we find out um, – without giving too much away, but I think this is kind of knowledge. We find out that the doctor was actually not manipulating her but grooming her for Time Lord Academy on Gallifrey. And so that's why he was having her explore a lot of her personal self, especially when you go back to the – uh, what is commonly dubbed the Ace Trilogy, where he, you know, shows her a lot of her past and allows her to discover a lot about herself. Well, the idea in the beyond what was going to happen was kind of more of that idea, exploring Ace's character and getting, and then Ace eventually leaving. I think even our Andrew Cartmel, I don't know if he told you that in the interview that you had with him. Yeah. Um, they kind of explore that aspect of it in the new adventures, and she becomes even more, you know, separated and, and reclusive in, within herself. Not necessarily, you know, <laughs> physically reclusive, but she kind of goes, you know, inside. And there's a lot of things that happen in time, the Time Worm series that kind of cause this as well. So at this point, she has actually returned to um, – because then the Doctor ends up – uh, joining Bernice, yeah, and and spend some adventures with her before Ace returns, and so this is actually shortly after Ace's return to the to the trio, and and human nature is one of those stories. Human nature, human nature is one of those stories set when Ace has gone and she's uh, with Starfleet, and that was one of the things I think the books explore as well as when it's revealed sort of that the Doctor was grooming Ace mm-hmm. so that he could take her back to Gallifrey and put her in the academy. And because he he wanted great things for her, at that point is when she kind of sh- you know shrugs that off and says, "No, I'm going to do my own thing." And they kind of part ways, and that's why she ends up going to space fleet because she wants to do something with her life, take charge. She wants to be a warrior. She wants to do huh. you know the things that you really kind of see glimmers of Ace in the early days. And I know this is a Benny companion. We'll get to that. <laughs> I was I was just going to say I, I feel bad almost asking will, this question. We will but, talk a lot more about Ace, obviously down the road. When yeah. we do some um, of those. James came over and we watched uh, Happiness Patrol, and he kind of asked me, you know, I wonder what would have happened to Ace. And so I said, well, there's technically two different time tracks that, depending on which fandom you you you, you subscribe to, one is which that she she does go and become uh, a Time Lord uh, on Gallifrey, and in one which she dies. And that she's not around anymore, and yeah, I had never heard that. You never heard that one. I'm I'm curious to know. It which, never came to fruition then. Yeah, it was I, something I, that was an idea. Something that was an I idea. Gotcha. Okay. I gotcha. um, yeah. Although I, again, I think it kind of depends on the medium because I think in one of the either comics or books or something that that they do offer, well, but the, in the comics, I believe they do. They did end up killing her character because I, I and I just realized this too that there's a um, but she she's still around and survives for. Yeah, it's 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 not until down the road because there's even a comic that's in the I want to say it's in the one of the annuals that I've got where she's wearing the all black outfit mm-hmm. and they run into some Daleks and so she kind of puts some of her 
nerve skills to use there, well, that's which the makes a lot more sense. Now that <laughs> that's the like interesting this. part about that is because at one point, as the new adventures were exploring the uh, Dr. Ace stories, they do have some that kind of shoot into each other, and they actually at one point converged their timelines, and there oh. are some that work side by side mm-hmm. with what was happening in the new adventures at that time. So, yeah. But what what made that interesting is that common is we we kind of followed that trail of logic down a rabbit hole and and kind of went to the the fact that if you look at Gallifreyan society that we get the glimpse of in Invasion of Time where we've got the Time Lords up in the Citadel and then you've got regular Gallifreyans kind of out living in bearskins and loincloths outside the when Leela goes out and is stuck yeah. with them and then you combine that with the uh, the Sisterhood of Karn who say well we've always shared the elixir with the Time Lords and kind of you get the idea that maybe. Maybe Gallifreyans in general are a long-lived race, but maybe not quite immortal. And it's not until they get the elixir that they're able to regenerate. When they become a proper time lord. When they become a proper time lord. And so if Ace winds up at the academy as a time lord, is it then now that she would have the ability to regenerate, that she would be bestowed that? Is that something that time lords actually gift out that is not well, necessarily an in name. We've seen other evidence of them gifting more regenerations. So right. And it may a, not it's be. It's a logical step. That it just it makes sense all of a sudden that it, it's not something maybe that you're born with the ability to regenerate that's certainly, until you become a Time Lord. That's and, certainly postulating the idea because that never, she never did join the Time Academy in any time frame. Right. She was being groomed for it, but but shunned it essentially. So, um, But yeah, could that have, have been the case? I said that's more I, of an ace I, thing this, down the road. And, and, since we and came I out. think more on that topic, I think we, we that was a topic for another time as well. But the, the Time Lords, I think there's a lot more to that. I, I, I think that the the elixir is certainly something that adds to the physiology of the Time Lords, but I think you also have to remember that, that there there are Time Lords and then there's your everyday Gal France. Right. And at one time they were all one. But it wasn't until Rassilon's experiments and then harnessing of the black hole that the Time Lord Society was created. Yeah. And they, they were, were the ones that were able to that. basically monitor and lord over time. And then you had – and I can't remember what they're called. They're actually named in um, Leela's last story when she goes back to and, – and ends up living with them. There's actually a name for the Gallifreyans that do not live in the Citadel. But uh, yeah, that's a whole other other thing as well. But yeah, I, I think that you guys are, are certainly on task with the the long lived uh, society. But the Time Lords managed not only harness, harness time but immortality to a point. It's just an interesting thought that in, in, in my mind, if that's how that went down, that everybody has always identified the Doctor as a Time Lord. That's his race. And it may or may not be. It may be more of a title, but this because it's been going on for so long that they all. Identify together. as you know as time or just differentiate themselves from the other Gallifreyans or whatnot. I thought it was interesting, and I, my personal headcanon is that Ace does get there at some point. <laughs> um, now here's where I'm going to come down on this: is there were elements of this that I really, really, really liked. I love Bernice. I, I anything with Bernice, I, she's great. I, I I I love her character. I love her witticisms and her. Uh, um, uh, what was your open uh, feeble feeble witticisms? Feeble witticisms. That's, that's actually from the next story. I, I, I love her feeble witticisms, um, and I love her pragmatism. Her prag, pragma, pragmatism. Um, I have only read Human Nature, so I don't have the huge background of of Virgin New Adventure flavor. Well, I don't think any of us this. have uh, Bernie's 
flavor yet. Yeah, no, not not necessarily will. hers, yeah. but I mean, just just in, I mean, you're you're a leg up that you've got four stories into the Virgin Nuvon. I've got one. Well, you've got five now, I guess technically. Yeah, five. Um, Only one of those with Bernie, though. So. Right, but oh, Benny, but just, Bernie, Benny. Yeah, but just that it's but the tone and the feel. The, the tone and all that. I, I don't have that connection to it because I and I remember when we reviewed Human Nature that I felt the book was quite a bit darker and kind of pushed that envelope I think almost as far and in my mind a little bit further than what I'm comfortable with my Doctor Who going this felt like that there was a lot of it that was kind of like mm, tonally it was just a little too um, well, too out there for me and there's a lot of this, like stuff with the baby that the one character has and Annie. a lot of that was it Annie her name? yeah, yeah. Like Annie and that exploration very adult idea and then which it's kind of like one of those, oh, that's kind of a touchy subject and a little uncomfortable. But then they wind up fixing the problem and doing the typical Doctor Who resolve everything so it has, an, uh, for the most part, happy ending. Well, and that, that was another it thing kind of, that honestly kind of bothered me was the happy ending. I, I didn't like the fact that this had such a happy ending that, you know, we, we've had this horrible sequence of events through the whole story and that these people are being terrorized and killed left and right and mutated and strange arms and galactic intrigue and huge otherworldly dimension beings are going to come through and demolish everything. And the doctor plays it all off like it's not a big deal because he's got this master plan. It's like, okay, we're going to get the scheming doctor here. But then it all backfires, and he's not as smart as he thinks he is, and they were prepared for it, and he's thrown into this web of self-doubt and everything, and it's like, we've kind of talked about it, it's like, I don't like the Doctor to be completely oblivious. I like him to be, you know, this, this one almost felt like it couldn't make up his mind. Do I want him to be this, uh, you know, lofty god who already knows the outcome? And then when he doesn't, it's suddenly thrown so far down the chain and knocked, you know, a few pegs. It's not just knocked a few pegs down the ladder. It's, it's, it, he's all the way at the bottom of the totem pole and, and all this kind of stuff. And I, I'm not really a fan of that doctor either. I, I like him to kind of be somewhere in the middle. And it bothered me that when he was the all-knowing doctor, he was so cavalier about it. I mean, yeah, he had a plan, but people were dying. Yeah. There was a timetable here, and he didn't seem concerned about it. That really... I, I didn't like that. And then when he becomes withered in self-doubt, people are still dying. And it's like, you got to snap out of this, Doc. you got to <laughs> fix this problem. Consequently, I loved Ace. I loved Benny, that they were able to kind of step up and at least be doing something. Now, <laughs> Ace getting deafened, is this really the best plan we can come up with? Uh, I, I thought it was a. It, it made was, sense. It was I, a, it was a resourceful way for exactly and a way to give gravity to the situation also. Yeah, and and, and great characterization for Ace that she's willing to do this to do whatever is necessary to defeat them. Yeah, I think they, what third most painful thing. She's I think what helps. Yeah. I think what helps with this story for me though is because it's considered quote unquote sidestep. I think that. Knowing the type of doctor that we've that that we get in the sidestep adventures is a more darker, more uh, more reckless doctor. Um, I think it, it's nice to think of of the seventh doctor as a little more controlling and knowledgeable of the situation and having a plan and having a plan B and having a plan C, which we get back to in the dark flame, which we'll get to. But um, I kind of I like the idea of this doctor not having 
so much of a control over situation because I think a lot of times I think we, we fall into the trope of the doctor coming in and having a plan all along and then just going through the motions of, of correcting things and fixing things. And sometimes they stumble and they, they, they sideswipe, but they always seem to come back and manage it. I kind of like this idea of the seventh doctor's darkness and recklessness working against him and him having to really consider what to do next in order to, and kind of playing it as he even mentions in one of these stories, I'm making this up as I go along. It was very Indiana Jones. Uh, and see, I never buy that oh, from see, the seventh doctor four. Yes. Well, 11. Yes. Seven, but I, but I, I never I, believe I, that. I think that one of the things that founds that, that solidifies the fact that the seventh doctor always has a plan is cold. where he realizes that a future version of himself had to go and basically out, you know, live out a certain life so that he could come back in order to rescue Ace, and then in turn, inadvertently himself from Colditz. But on the flip side of that, we have the story with Mel in the uh, what was it called? The Needle. I don't remember the name of the story, but they were living in that bubble, and there were the people on the inside that had completely oh, yeah, avoided themselves of, yeah. oh, of um, uh, negative emotions, and then they had the ones outside that were harming themselves because they had that need and longing for those emotions that they had accessed within the. The, the sphere or the bubble or whatever it was. What were they kept calling the, the tower or what something? they called it the needle. The needle. And and so there was quite a bit of the seventh doctor in that one constructing the plan as he went along. And it was another thing that I think what, what helps this story, even though it isn't it is retroactively well, technically it's not, if you if you really think about if you try to put it all in one chronological timeline, those events do take place before this. But if you think about it there was a lot we, – we, I even pointed out the fact that the doctor's allowing a lot of death and destruction before he's able to kind of focus on what needs to be done. At the one time, the, the machine is killing off residents of the needle as the doctor is continuing to basically explain what he's going to do. And I remember saying – I was shouting at my iPhone saying, <laughs> you know, there's people dying here, doctor. You can hurry up. I kind of like I – don't, I don't like that the doctor does that. In such a way. But I kind of like that we've explored this side of the Doctor that has kind of maybe been going that way as well. We also explore the recklessness of the Doctor in the uh, Remembrance of the Daleks. Mm -hmm. The the weird dichotomy of that is you feel like by the end of that, the Doctor had a plan all along. But there's a lot of moments where, as every surprise comes up, you still feel like he's constructing the plan as he goes. He has the one plan for the Hand of Omega. He does. He certainly has that. And you can tell from the very beginning that's why he arrived there, and he had a certain end goal. But you also, as Davros is revealed and as it's revealed what the Daleks are doing, the Doctor has no knowledge of what's happening, so he really feels like he's constructing. So there's those early stages of as the Doctor... Red, yeah, thank you. As the Doctor progresses, he seems to be a little more of a... less of a pre-planner and more of a construct the plan as I go. And I kind of like that aspect. If you can take and look at all of this in a chronological sense... It almost makes sense as to maybe why, almost in the same way that Peter, uh, no Peter, uh, the Tenth Doctor was becoming so dark and lonely that he really needed to get to a regeneration point so that he could change. 
I kind of see a parallel with Seven in such a way as well, is that maybe because the Seventh Doctor was getting so reckless, it was necessary to change. Now, unfortunately, his demise is because he walks out of the TARDIS at the wrong moment. <laughs> it's gunned down by gangland violence, but <clears throat> which really doesn't gel. The darker they get, the, the more reckless they get with the Seventh Doctor. But I think that this is something that's also explored in this one is... But I'll, let me bring it back around to Benny, because... What I love about Benny and everything that I've experienced her in is Benny is the best counterbalance for the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Benny is uh, what I would equate Donna to the Tenth Doctor. Benny is they're not certainly not the same character, but in the in the relationship of the Doctor, she is the one that can see when the Doctor is getting maybe just a little too dark or thinking outside of, or being reckless. And she very much proves that in this, especially going in the one time, and he needs her. He wants her to come into his mind, which is a wonderful treat for me because in one of the Time Worm stories, in fact, the last one, she, you know, she, how you heard in this, Benny mentioned, yeah, Ace had been here before. Yeah. That actually happened in one of the stories. That That's when oh. it happened was one of the stories I read. So that was a nice treat for me to go... In fact, as I was listening to this, I was going, they've done this before in the New Adventures. Ace was – and then she makes the com- he makes the comment. She makes the comment that Ace had mentioned that this had happened to her. And he even addresses the other generations in his mind. And they actually the references do – References to eight were wonderful. They, that was wonderful. <laughs> they actually do have some interaction in Time Worm Revelation with – the seventh doctor. Mm-hmm. But in this one, he makes the point that, you know, they, they don't always, they just kind of look on me with judgment. They don't interact as much. And so well, that's such a cool way to explore the past character of the doctor at the same yes, time. Agreed. And how ex- a great example of how he's the, still the same person and how the incarnations just step forward to take dominance. It's such a really cool idea to explore. Well, yeah. especially by adding the, the idea of eight, being there yeah. and him saying, well, that's one I haven't met yet. You know, it's just, it's, it's, that was really kind of a neat, uh, you know, uh, way to kind of visualize that or, 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 or put it. But I, I like that Benny's very much the balance. She goes into his mind the one time to help him out and find out what needs to be done. She comes back out and takes it upon herself to go back in because she realized the doctor needs to be saved. He needs it. And he, she's the one that's in there that's, that is essentially – she convinces him as he starts to go down that road once again of I, I continue to put my companions in danger and I, can, I, I put them forth in, on the battlefield in order to do – you know. Things that I'm afraid of doing, and they, they just just that whole speech he's making and that passion when he's battling the the scourge within his mind, and Benny is the one that actually convinces him that he needs the companions that he doesn't he yeah. shouldn't push them. It's, it's something that's very much explored in New Who. Um, he needs the companions that he that he he shouldn't. He feels that he should push them away to keep them safe, to keep them out of danger, and that he's. He's continually being selfish by putting them in danger all the time. And she's the one that essentially convinces him that, no, you need the companions because they're what make you make the best choices. And don't be reckless. And so she was this perfect counterbalance in here, which is what is needed in these particular stories. And I think even when we explore some of the new adventures, because Ace is taken down a completely different path. And if you look back, Ace has never been a balance for the Doctor. There's always mm-hmm. been a professor-student relationship between the two. And they continue to do that through their timeline. So by bringing Benny in, who's a very grounded, 
and wise person in her own in her own right. She's very gifted with knowledge. She's she's that perfect person just kind of just and and they seem to have this fun relationship when they chat with each other. I don't want to say they're on the same level, but maybe in a personal sense, they kind of are. They kind of respect each other. They have a certain respect for each other. And you, this story particularly really gives it that feel. And I think also, while at this point, Ace has become this warrior, this Dalek hunter, this very gung-ho, this I'm willing to do anything to advance on the battlefield as far as going and and popping, having somebody pop my own eardrums, go through what she said, like the seventh most uh, uh, worst pain she's ever, maybe it was even higher than that. But one of the, she said in the top ten of worst pains, this is a seven or something like that. Going through that, she's that type of character here. She's even that type of character. So she is that warrior. She's that soldier at this point. So you need Benny in order to be that person that can can step back and look at the big picture and say, okay, this is Ace's role. This is the doctor's role. I'm the one that does this. And I think that this story does an excellent job, an excellent job of portraying that. Stepping back to the planning real quick. This is also a great example of both parts of the Doctor. Because he goes in with this great plan and it falls flat on its face. And then he has to make it up as he goes along. So you get both sides of the Doctor in this story, which is something I enjoyed. As uncomfortable as his original plan was for me. His his plan of, I came in and, yes, we're going to give over this planet. And even when he gave his explanation of, well, we can do this, this, and this, and it will take care of the problem real quickly, it's still kind of like... That's quite a gamble to take, Doctor. And obviously, eventually it does pay off, but for a while it doesn't because he has to make it up as he goes along. Especially when it's revealed that that's the plan in Episode 2. And you're like, yeah, it's not going to (laughs) work. Come on. (laughs) There's plenty of time left to... For it to get mucked up. I, I think the problem that I have with this, with the, with the planning stages, you know, Seven's become this manipulative doctor that yes. he's, he's playing the chess games. Yes. I don't have a problem with that. Other than the Hand of Omega, I don't think he's got any necessarily super long-term No, ambits. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think and he's that's ever what playing. this one felt like. I don't this think he's ever like playing he the long playing game. the long game well, in regards to this situation. I think he... I think this is his attempt to play the long game. And as well, Keith it, points out, it falls apart. And then he becomes he becomes very, uh, what's the word? He becomes very maybe disjointed because he has to suddenly, okay, I had this all thought out. And now it's all falling around me. So now I have to plan as we go. I have to figure this out as we go. That was another element that I liked is that he set up the long game and it failed. It's such a different aspect of of the doctor in general with yeah. the exception of maybe the first doctor who was just bumbling through everything but but he didn't know it <laughs> run away he was well <laughs> from a certain Bumble perspective <laughs> he was very young and naive yeah. i mean that's if you really look at it yeah. that can sum up the first doctor's um era in a nutshell is that while he was wise beyond his years because he had lived such a long life in that generation he was still young and naive and i really believe that that's why and I think it justifies the reason why he was ready to toddle back to the TARDIS and take off. He wasn't aged and, and wise to the point. He wasn't seasoned. He wasn't seasoned yeah. to the point that 
he is by the time he's in his seventh incarnation. Incarnation, that's the word I was working for. In his seventh incarnation, and he is ready to try to play the long game. And I think even, I mean, four was very, to me, four was very steady in really seeing what was coming. He was playing the chess game, I think, for the most part. And even when surprises came up, he was already five moves ahead of the enemy. The seventh doctor, I love this idea of trying, it's, it's almost like his adversaries have gotten wiser. The, the, the challenges are much greater now. He's got people like the Scourge who really did almost be one step ahead of him the whole time until he managed to finally get a step ahead of them. Yeah. And he wouldn't have got to that point had it not been for the terrific team of Soldier Ace and Level-Headed Benny. I think that's, that's what yeah. made this book so good. The other thing that I really enjoyed about this book is you were talking about how we had the two aspects, the planner and then the sudden, okay, I've got to make this up as I go along. This book had that same feel as well in the sense that there was this nice balance, I thought, because it does get darker than a lot of the stories we have. But it also had a lot of fun and whimsy in it. There were moments where they really they did break the tension. Just well. made me yeah. chuckle because I thought that was the perfect moment for a tension breaker. That was the perfect moment for a uh, what was your open? A feeble witticism. Feeble, feeble witticism. Yeah. This was a perfect example of a uh, bullheaded ace moment. I mean, it was just <laughs> they were moments, and even the doctor when he's in skirmishes with the scourge, he's still throwing out these little witticisms or these funny little things that he that that. I mean, it's almost goading sometimes yeah. when he does them, and I thought it was the perfect balance of that. And I think that's why I enjoyed it so much because this. This story should – I should have came into this going, oh, this didn't feel like Doctor Who. That's something <laughs> I say a lot. This is not my Doctor. This is very out of step with how classic Doctor Who should feel. I've said that many times. But that's often when they put us in a situation where I feel like they're trying to develop a classic story and then they feel like they've gone off the rails because they've tried to do something different. And I'm not faulting this them for that. This didn't feel like my Doctor – I will be Glenn this podcast and say all of that because it just I liked the, I liked the fun tension breaker moments. I thought they were good. I liked the, the idea of this cross stitch and that you know and, and the, the the behind the scenes machinations that kind of drove all of these people together into this you know into this thing. But it just I don't know. For me, it just didn't gel that we had the long game going on that failed miserably, and now I have to become well. And, and it was a long game of him trying to fix up. Problem he created on accident, which yeah. I thought was interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think but then the, the um, it was the very end, even with you know, okay, you and you are the ones that have hooked up and made the baby. Okay, great, fantastic, and we're going to give this happy ending. Yeah, I'm going to go home and tell my wife to start the divorce proceedings. I'm like, what? That's dark. You can't do that. <laughs> I mean, it, it 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 just it it took that nice little bow that you normally get right. at the end of the thing and went. <laughs> Guess what? Real life. And it's like, but okay, to me, I get that. But, still but to it's... me, that struck the perfect ending of this because had it all wrapped up in a nice little bow and everybody rode off into the sunset, that would have been so contrasting to all of the elements, the dark and the light elements that we'd have had. But, but it, See, was, it, suddenly made, it was the reality for me, of the it made situation. Brian an unlikable <clears throat> character. All, a little the, bit. The, the husband. It, yeah, it made yeah, him yeah. an unlikable character all of a sudden because it's like, okay, so... Yeah, now I don't all all of the nice heroic stuff that you kind of now nah, it's 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 cheapened by that to me. But he, I, I don't like that. He 
I didn't get out of it. He didn't do a lot of heroic things. Well, no, he but really, kind of just was there as the technical guy, yeah. and he was really bad at that. Yeah. The hero is the cross stitch guy who does get the redemption at the end. Yeah, the cross stitch guy is the one that he's. In fact, he's all but given up. He's the reluctant hero because he's all but given up hope. Because of the idea, the fact that he deserve, he feels like he really deserves this. I duped all of these people out of money. This guy stole 2,000 pounds. I mean, come on. <laughs> but he feels so guilty about it. And he knows that's what the scourge, scourge, scourge has zeroed in on. And that's the, the, the negative emotion that they're feeding from him. And so he's really the one that – I mean, he's the one that steps through and really is kind of that, that, that medium hero ground – and and by the end, he is the one that is is um, uh, redeemed because he, even the the you know they they forgave me and they're going to keep me in the thing. Yeah. I have to repay them and install. I mean, it was just a moment. <laughs> yeah. So another little fun little moment. And I, I like I liked, I so, liked that. I like the fact that he he had a, a wrap up of of the consequences of his actions. Yeah. The other guy didn't. And maybe that, that you know that that's certainly true. That's certainly real life. That's certainly the way things work. But it just it, it 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 clanged that hollow note at the end of a. See, but if they, if they all had, if they all had gotten the redemption or gotten that cute that nice little bow, I would have felt that it it really went against everything. We just needed that little nugget. We needed we needed the doctor's faith in himself restored. We needed. Benny to sum it up and really, you know, be the hero because she really is in this story. Oh, in yeah. my opinion, yeah. she's a hero. No, I, I mean, agree. Ace Benny, was the Benny muscle, but she was the hero. And but we needed some of that, you know. Oh well, there's a baby. Oh, well, that's nice. And they've they've learned that, you know, there are two sides to the yin and the yang. Yeah, but this guy's still scum. I mean, I, I well, that was fine yeah, to me. I, that, well, see, I just, like I said, I, I just I, I don't know. I don't know what it was specifically that it just it just tasted wrong. I just it was the wrong flavor. It was a broccoli Sunday. It just didn't <laughs> you know, it, it just didn't work for me. It was hot fudge Sunday for me. Ooh, yeah. I mean I, I I loved Bernice and I Bernice is the very much the hero of the story with Ace as her companion and that yeah. all, all yeah. of that was great. All that was awesome. The doctor realistically winds up being sidelined for the majority of it. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, He's trapped in his own mind. And and and, and transformed. And transformed and, yeah. and unconscious. And, and, and unconscious well is the, 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 the He's still waging battle, but it just happens to be, yeah. you know. The transformations were a thing that I thought was interesting and was okay with, but then the fact that they were easily turned back, it was kind of like, eh, that's a, okay. I think one of the other things, the two things that bother Turning me. Turning into insects, and it's, uh, yeah. now they're. Praying mantis, even, nonetheless. Yeah, now they're not even half insect. They're back to normal. Uh, Okay. All of that was so easily magic wanded away. Well, it, it was almost very new who ish of. And yet, all these dead no, people. No hard science <laughs> doing any of it. It's goodwill and human nature that will fix a, fix this. Love will save the day. And it's one of those things where it almost didn't fit in the story either. Yeah. Some of the uh, the problems that I had was the doctor's initial plan. He's got this paper. He's transferring Earth to the scourge to set a plan in motion. But that's never really explained what that plan was. And so I had a problem with that because I never got the impression. I mean, clearly they're trying to convey the idea that if the invasion has failed, that Earth reverts back. And I thought, but this whole 
piece of paper thing against this darkness of evil. That's a terrible plan. I just no, there's no, there's it, it, nothing it, it, that says that they're going to adhere to that contract. Yeah. And the only thing that I saw that kind of settled me on that was the one of the, I think the discontinuity guide or something also pointed that out and said that they think that that was merely the symbolism of the contracts between good and evil that you see in a lot of the literature mm. and the um, the um, what am I looking for the the uh, the deal with the devil, kind of. yeah, exactly. Okay. And that, that's kind of the that was just more of a uh, allusion to that, and not necessary, not necessarily too much to the plot. If if that's where also they were going the, the with it, I will 666, say it was his uh, room oh, number, yeah, and, you yeah. Know, yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, if that's where they were going with it, I think they failed with that particular Agreed. literary illusion. And if anything, it it was maddening because it felt like the doctor's killing time. It felt like he's going through all these motions with the grand plan that he's got set up and, Oh, look, I've got a contract and I'll, I'll pop over here and do this and I'll bring him in. Oh, you've got to read this over. And there's a legal thing here. Blah, 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 blah. It's like, people are dying. <laughs> Let's have a little more action and a little less posturing. That's the word posturing. He postured through this whole thing. That's what I didn't like. I think the seventh doctor is great at posturing. When it's needed, yeah. when he yeah. has to drag something out because the time's not right for this to happen and he's monologuing to the villain and unlimited rice pudding to Davros and all kinds of stuff. Fantastic. Let him go. Wind him up and turn him loose. None of that felt like it was really needed at you this point. You keep talking about people were dying. There was very few deaths in there. The the guy that uh, – the aviation guy, his wife died. Well, the, there were people being taken over. That was an innocent. People were, number one, being taken over. But for the most part – there were only four scour- scourge in this that had crossed over. The rest were being driven in fear. All the screaming and yelling that you heard was the scourge inciting the chaos to feed on that so that they could basically power themselves in order to bring more across. So there there's, there was a lot less death than you think there was. Most of that, because they, they kept referencing the fact that a lot of people were cowering and hiding. And, and the, the Scourge at one point have that conversation about we must keep them fearful. We must, now, there were some that they, there was one guy, I think, that, that one bit in order to because they were starting to rise up. Yeah. And so he made an example of them. But the body count in this was very low. And I got the impression that when the wave starts coming and some people were transforming, I get the impression that the the idea is by relaying us to relating us to it that the doctor reverted and Annie reverted back to Everyone normal form. Did. Everybody did. So I think maybe you read more into the death count. There was a lot of fear going on there, but I don't think there was many people dying as you think there was. It certainly sounded like a lot of people. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. I just The the term feeding on them, I guess I took more literally. Oh, see, now that's and the problem so because as... there is a dialogue between the head scourge, the supreme scourge, the supreme leader, I think is what he was called, and that other, that, that there was a conversation that talked about we need to feed on their emotion. We need to feed on their fear. Right. And then there was a, one other Which point. Which they were using the fear as what continued. was going to allow them to transfer right. this, yeah. this over. And at but one I still... point, they, he was encouraging them to step up that fear. And so they would go in there and they would bo- you know, brood over them and be uh, scary and, and make them freak out again and not, and, and not be confident and, and, and 
feed on that negativity, but they weren't actually physically feeding on anybody. I mean, See, I got the impression they were in yeah. addition to the no, fear no, that, they, they were, they, they, that there was both. But wasn't there one with the guy ripped a limb off and beat him to death with it? Didn't yeah, I hear was, that? There like too? I said, there was I mean, there was some just, deaths, but the body count was maybe like five as opposed to I don't know. It just, people are dying. I didn't like it. <laughs> I, like I, I thought I, that I the, the unnecessary like death, while it was necessary for the plot, the unnecessary death from the doctor's perspective, I think was the aviator's wife. That was the casualty in my mind that I think the doctor didn't expect. I think the doctor, in his plan, maybe thought there were going to be some sacrifices, but that was almost the unneeded sacrifice because she was so close to the well, plot. Who was the dead guy in the elevator? He had died before. Did they ever go back and wrap that? Story He's the one cut? that the scour- scourge originally came through. He was that yeah, that one they the had killed. That, he yeah. was the first one that they killed. That was how the supreme leader the, came the over. Hobo. Yeah, okay. He was okay. Uh, what do they call him? They call homeless Bill or something. Homeless yeah. Bob or something like that. All right. I don't like it. <laughs> and the doctor knew that death was going to happen because that was going to be the vehicle. That wasn't the spring leader came over first. It was the other one that he did the negotiation with. Because yeah. then when the leader came over, that's when he said, you know, the doctor thinks he's got this worked out. I, the other aspect of it that I thought I really liked was the – we always talk about – I always talk about how, <laughs> the, the you know, demons and darkness and they, they aren't physical things. They aren't they, – they, you know, that's – that's people's minds. That's you know mental instabilities. That's human nature. That I liked how they did equate the scourge, even though they're in a separate universe, being the kind of um, oh yeah uh, fodder for the stories of hell and demons and depression, yeah. and that's why you know I, I like that allu- you know alliteration to literature and to to religion as to this is what's this is what's there. It just happens to be another transdimensional or transuniversal being. I thought that was kind of cool. You know, they were sort of the the basis or the, the the foundation of you know Satan in the Bible, or you know, and better handled than the angels in yes, yeah, in rapture, rapture. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah, no, I didn't. That, that, that was good. But it also kind of, yeah, better. Well, better, better handled. It's almost like every time they do one of these, you think, well, everything can't be the source. But yeah, I think it can. I think everything that we encounter in it, Doctor Who, in its own pot. way, is a melting pot of what everything has boiled down to yeah. in human society. I think I like that. I think it's. I think it's clever. I wish you'd like this more because it was uh, – again, I come from – and I set this up this way. I came from a completely different perspective because yeah. I did get – I did get – I walked from I, – I got the benefit of walking in from the zero entry, shallow end, <laughs> into deeper waters by reading right. those four novels. And well, then and it, it, like nature, I said, it may, well. it may just be me because obviously uh, you know, Chrissy and, and, and Holly both liked it and, and both talked pretty favorably about it as well. I just and and you know I, I I liked a lot of it. There was a lot of elements to it that I really 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 liked. I just didn't like the story. I didn't like the framework that they gave me all these other elements in. It was kind of like, eh, you know, okay, it's another evil entity invading the universe kind of stuff. Okay, yeah, we've been there. Well, it's, and I didn't I like mean, the way that monster was of the week and, though, and you just kind of expect that. Yeah, way. I mean, and there's a certain amount of that, but just the the you know, what's the monster this week? Evil. 
<laughs> okay. Just another element. I, 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 like, I like a little more meat to my monster. but you know. Well, do you feel like we got a little more meat in the next story? No, I think? feel like it was an exact copy. Well, keep reading that are... synopsis, and we'll talk about that one. The Dark Flame. A thousand years ago, the evil cult of the Dark Flame infiltrated every star system in the galaxy. In the history books, the cult is legendary. Its despotic leader is a terrible memory. Terrible memory. But for some, the dark flame still burns. For some, its horrifying power is the ultimate goal. All that is required for the right people to be in the wrong place and time. An archaeologist and his robot are prisoners on the poisonous world of Marin Alpha, where they will uncover a hideous relic. The Doctor and Ace are on their way to the Deep Space Research Center, Orbos, where Professor Bernie Summerfield is soon to start the countdown to Universal Armageddon. Four acolytes of evil, three mad scientists, two companions, one doctor. Dun, dun, dun! Now, I don't give this one as enthusiastic because I don't think it was near as good as Shadow of Scourge. It wasn't. But again... I think I, I actually enjoyed this one more. I don't think it was as good, but I enjoyed it more for is some reason. Is it because... I don't know why. Well, is it because, and I'll just say this and let you go on, is it because this one does feel a lot more like Doctor Who, quote, that, unquote? That could be. Although I, I didn't did. I, I didn't have as I much felt, of an issue as it was, as Sean did. I, see, but, I, didn't, I felt this one felt less like Doctor Who. Oh, see, I, I felt <laughs> this one... Maybe because this one felt less new adventure-ish. It still had all of the elements. It has still had a lot of the elements. It still had a lot of the darkness. It still had... Fortunately, after having come through Shadow of the Scourge, I don't think the Doctor had to go to a level that he went in Shadow of the Scourge. So that was kind of refreshing. The, the Doctor was almost... It's almost like the Doctor's been on a, on, a, on a downswing from the time we're first introduced to him in um, Time of the Ronnie and into this darkness, this, this kind of just... Really reckless. That's the word I want to use. No, it's not even reckless. It's uh, cavalier. Cavalier is a, is, a, is a word I would use. Um, he's a gambler. He's he's a, he's a reckless gambler. He's very dark and he's very manipulative. I think that's the downswing. I think the, then by the time we get past Shadow of the Scourge and presumably some other stories within uh, the New Adventures, he he then is on the upswing. He starts to come back up, and I think that's where why you can kind of justify the doctor having tea in the TARDIS, reading H.G. Wells, taking the Master's remains back to Scar or back to uh, Gallifrey. I think you that th- he's at th- this point he's on that upswing where we're going to get back to a lighter, um, less brooding, less manipulative doctor, and I think that. This is on that upswing. So it was actually a little refreshing to say, okay, the doctor's been through his darkest hours, and now he's he's kind of on that upswing as well. And he's back, he almost back to his, his usual ways of being uh, a little more forethought, forth a little less taking risks and gambles. He still takes risks and gambles, but he's no longer taking needless risks and gambles. It's more gambles in order in line with the plan's a, B, and C that he does lay out in this one. And I kind of liked that is that it's so different. I think the problem that I had with this story, and it's not even a serious problem, is we did these two next to each other so that we could do a Bernie thing, which is fine. We're not faulting that at all. But had these been separated enough, they wouldn't have felt the same. They kind of have a similar... There, there's a similar 
tone. There's a similar flavor. There's a similar plot elements to that's, it. That's what I'm hitting on because I don't mind the tone and flavor being the same because, again, I think set framed in the, well, and the, and the years of similar the ideas aspect. explored also. That's it. Yeah. There, there's, there's similar, similar ideas and similar and plots ideas. That, that I think is is what is hindering this second story in all of our minds because of the fact that we did them back to back. They're, they're quite similar in that aspect. Well, because you're still dealing with, uh, you know, enemy, enemy of the week. What is it? Evil. Coming through from another dimension, possessing a dead guy. We've been there. We just yeah. did this, you know. I think it's just for me. I like the framework of this story. I like the skeleton of this story better than the first one. I I don't know what, it, what why. I, I can't pinpoint why I like this idea better, but I do. Because there was a canine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a C three PO one to be a robot. I don't know. <laughs> I um. It started off, and I was really excited. I was like, this is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. And I, I liked all the stuff on the space station. I liked the the motley crew of characters that, that you know we, we get introduced to. I liked the robot. I liked the other guy. We're setting up a murder mystery. I, we're setting well, up a murder this, mystery. This I love Benny. Is not, it's not slow. This moves. Mm-hmm. It no, moves. it moves. It clips along. It sure does. So I, I'm, I'm excited by all that. And then the Dark Flame cult. I was like, okay, what do we got here? And downhill from there. As, as soon as that was introduced as the, oh, the element, that, that's where it went. And it, it just, okay, so the one scientist who very obviously is the bad guy. Okay, yeah, kind of, we, we need that. And then the female scientist who didn't fool me at all that she was in on it. Everybody on the station's in on this except for the robot. Come on, let's move along here, people. And they just kind of kept throwing it out like, oh, look what we're doing. It's like, no, you're not fooling me at all. I see through all this. And, you know, Ace and Benny are great. Again, the Doctor's pretty cool. A, B, C, and D, which kind of flies in the face of the one we just went through. Maybe he learned from it, and that's, that's what why. I think is, that, you know, that's why I say I think we're on this upswing of where he's he's learned his lessons. You know, still still got these plans. But so much of it, I felt like, could have been avoided if he just simply said, I think this is what the deal is. Let the companions in on it. Let the listener in on it. Well, yeah, but we've pointed out that he's very guilty. He, he plays that. his and cards just, very close to his vest, and they comment on it. Yeah. But many you know, times the, the, Benny really calls him out on it and says, For God's sakes, will you just let me know what's going on? And all he had to do at any point in time during this is say, Well, I think this is it, but it could be wrong. Okay. See, and, and and that that would have that would have freed that is Ace no and Benny so much, but that so is, much of what they wound up doing would have been freed up, knowing that maybe this is what we're going up against. That is no different than the Doctor playing his cards close to his chest in one of your most loved stories, Remembrance of the Daleks. It's no difference in that aspect of the Doctor, where he continues to keep Ace in the dark, he continues to keep Unit, quasi Unit, in the dark, he continues to. Have this side, um, I don't want to say adventure, this side, um, what, what word am I looking for here? Help me out. Uh, plan, this side plan with the hand of Omega that he's keeping very close to his it's, it's, it's very much the same. It's very much the same in Dragonfire. He knows what this thing is down in the the belly of this planet long before he lets anybody know us what it is and melberates him at the end for 
hold, withholding information. So it's everything that we've seen about the doctor See, I didn't, before. I didn't it's like it in Dragonfire when he did it. And the difference with, so with Remembrance, though. Why on earth though, do you like the Seventh Doctor then? The, because that's a lot of his <laughs> MO. The, the difference in Remembrance is because it's the long game, because it's dealing with the hand of Omega. He does not make any bones about it right off the bat. Once he realizes there's a Dalek in the junkyard, he warns everybody. Don't mess with it. Don't touch it. Leave it alone. Get a bazooka and shoot the face. But he knows what and he's got. <laughs> he knows what he's got in that situation. He does not know what he has that's in right. this situation. But, but that's, yeah. that's the difference is that he, he immediately warns people of the danger here because he knows what it is. And anything that he keeps them in the dark about is because he's got the long con going with the Hand of Omega. In this one, he doesn't know what he's dealing with, but he thinks he knows what he's dealing with, and he doesn't let him in on it. And it just seemed unnecessary. It seemed like somebody who... I don't know. It seemed very Seventh Doctor. Well, th- that's the thing. It, it felt like somebody who had never read or watched or listened to a Seventh Doctor story, but heard from other people, this is what the Seventh Doctor's like, went off and wrote a Seventh Doctor story with those attributes. It just it didn't ring true because it, it was... There was so much unnecessary danger and peril that the companions were put into that they know. could have avoided. I don't know. Ace by is just a little bit. Ace has put in a lot of danger. I can't talk about Curse. You guys haven't watched it yet. He's put in a lot of danger with the cheetah people in survival. He now again. I I admit I had talked about how the doctor was putting her in situations so she'd learn a lot about herself. So he had to essentially keep. Very things very close to his chef because he was having to be manipulative, but he put her in the face of danger of the cheetah people when he knew very well who they were or what and where they were from for the longest time. We go through that story clueless, but the doctor has this gleam in his eye, like he knows something or or believes he knows something in yeah. this case, and then it comes to fruition. And the same thing happens here. This is no different than the seventh doctor we've seen before. These are the aspects that I'm growing to love about the seventh doctor. As we revisit these stories, these stories, (laughs) they are still poorly written, poorly produced stories. I'm, I will never step away from saying that's what I don't like about the seventh doctor's era, but I'm beginning to fall in love with the seventh doctor because of these very attributes that I'm seeing in these stories that I'm revisiting and the same attributes that you're talking about that we get to see in the Dark Flame and in Shadow of the Scourge. Shadow of the Scourge took a different approach to it, and that's what I really liked about it. But it, it to me, it's no different. And I'm not, maybe I'm just not seeing your perspective, but to me, it is no different than the. Well, it's it's different from the matter of when when he trusts Ace to be off on her own. And she's she's off on the thing. She's got the skull. She's run off. She's up in the space station hiding out. He's not concerned about her because he knows she can take care of herself. That's different. Ace has seen a lot of growth. Yeah. Ace has seen yeah. a lot of growth at this point and everything. And and we presumably Benny has been around the block enough with the well, doctor. This, this to is a know. woman who's an archaeologist. Yeah. The, 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 space archaeologist. The, space archaeologist. The, this is she's Indiana Jones of Doctor Who. This is how this is going to work. So it's not even so much that. It's just that. There's there's a difference to me for being coy, for the plenty of words there. If if he's if he's being obtuse because he doesn't know, but he wants to appear to know, versus I've got a plan, but I'm not quite ready to, ready to fill you in on it. Because those are different aspects of the doctor's character. Sometimes he doesn't know, and he's just not going to let on that he doesn't yes, know. Yeah. Yes, agree. Yeah. And sometimes he doesn't know because, or he doesn't let you know that he knows because, well, I'm I'm still formulating this, working this out. And that's one of the things I love about the Eighth Doctor. Every time Paul McGann gets into a scrape, he'll flat out say, 
uh, it could be this. Yeah, and, and then I later, that's a great stupid doctor. I didn't, I didn't see it. Absolutely, going on. I, I like the open door sure, policy sure. there. But you can't compare seven and eight. But you can't compare yeah. seven and eight. But I don't mind that seven always has his machinations and his stuff. But the, the, I don't know with, with with Shadow of the Scourge, it felt like they went too strong in that direction. That he had this master plan oh, all uh, mapped out. Oh no, no, I agree. And that seems stupid. No, 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 I agree with you there. I just don't think you can apply that same logic to dark flame because i don't think i don't see the same doctor we see in shadow scourge and i've already said that if or i didn't say this if if they had played this doctor that we see in shadow scourge and continued to do that in the main range with the seventh doctor it wouldn't worked anymore i would have been okay well, this is a story that we did this in shadow scourge i like that we stepped out of our comfort zone we stepped out of the box. We did something a little different with the doctor. We made the doctor kind of learn his lessons here. And that's what I like about that story. I agree with everything you're saying when you apply it to Shadow of the Scourge. The problem is you're trying to uh, um, apply those same fundamental things about the doctor in the Dark Flame. And I don't see that because well, I see everything that he learned from Shadow of the Scourge and he's playing it differently in I, the Dark I, Flame. I, I agree. The Dark Flame Doctor feels more like... I don't think you can compare the two. Well, or you uh, should compare them. You can, but you shouldn't. I'm just, I'm just using that as an example because I, the, the Dark Flame Doctor feels more like my Doctor than the Shadow of the Scourge Doctor. The Shadow of the Scourge Doctor did not feel like Seven at all to me. This one's closer. It's a lot closer. But it felt unnecessary for him to be secretive. In certain elements. I don't mind him being secretive. I don't mind him holding his cards close to the vest. Those are one of those elements that I like about him. But there were times it was like, just tell him what's going on. <laughs> you're, you're, you're being unnecessarily stubborn, which I is think, another element of it. But it just came off the heels of Scourge. I, 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 I don't, I don't think so. Because like because I said, I it opened so strong. And I was so excited about it. I was like, yeah, okay, cool. Back to regular Doctor Who. And then it just kind of got mired down in the whole, you know, like I said, this evil entity is going to come over and raise an army of dead skeletons to come. You got to admit, you Things have to don't love feel like when he's told Who. when he's trying to figure out how to get the transmat working again. And he tells Ace, he, he, you know, he's at the point in her relation, their relationship that he, she, he can send her into battle and he knows he can. Yeah. And it's not, it's not that he has to even feel guilty about that because he's at a point now. And I think he even had this inkling of her even when he was manipulating and pushing her into battle now he doesn't even have to send her in a battle he can just give her a direction and she goes you have to admit that when he says take care of them while i work on this just keep them off and she's like what do i work what do i how do i keep them off and he says use this and hands the umbrella you had to love that <laughs> You had to have loved All the, the fact umbrella that he handed his umbrella world. over to her. I did her love that. And then said, try not to destroy <laughs> it or try not to da- – or don't you dare damage it or something to that yeah. effect. I was like, that was so cool. That was great. That was awesome. But an army of undead skeletons? Eh. That's no different than a bunch of well, – I can't use that because you don't like Scourge. But <laughs> a bunch of praying menace, <laughs> Elseworld praying menace. Yeah. See, yeah that was- and the, I would have loved Scourge even more had I not seen the image of the praying mantis. I hadn't seen the image See, of the praying mantis, and I, I, in my mind, they were just kind of these amorphous blobs with extra arms. I love I the I love the cartoon, the uh, little comic blurbs they do and they did back in the day in I, Doctor Who. The, the scene where Ace but this gets one ruined stunned, it for me, <laughs> and then 
he's screaming at her, you know, wake up. And, and the, the other doctor's legitimately concerned. She's been knocked out. She's listening. She's, oh, she'll be all right. Ace, wake up. Ace, it's time for battle. Ace is, and it's kind of like, yeah, that, that's kind of how this should work. <laughs> and that's you know? the relationship. And the, are you up yet? Yes, you know, and, and all this well, kind of stuff. And it's just not going anywhere with But for then him. finding the right words and approach that didn't make her yeah. was even better. And, and so, see, I liked all of that. Even that was great. Where it's like, well, it could have come across as oh, he's being really harsh with Ace mm-hmm. and he's being very cavalier no, with Ace. No, at this point, but we this understand point, it, yeah, their relationship. That all and worked how that for works, me. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, again, I loved Benny. Benny being in the cell. Benny being, you know, by her own admission. I'm too old for this. Oh, thanks. You know, the, love the, yeah. the interplay. I love the interplay between her and Ace. It's kind of sisterly, kind of not, kind of, I don't know if you want to take it that way. It could have almost felt like maybe they were lovers at one point because some of the back and forth that they had going on. It's like, sure, okay, whatever. Great chemistry with these married two couple-ish. Yeah, yeah in a way. Yeah. Fantastic That's why with I think all that they, they're certainly on the same ground socially. I think that's, yeah. yeah. And I, I loved all of that. But it just got mired down in this plot. We've got an evil butler that lives in the center of a planetoid. We've got an army of dead skeletons. That There's no scientific rationale for how that's supposed to work. I'll write it off because it's an other universally influenced and that maybe he's got... Okay, fine, What's whatever. the dark light? It's the, the energy dark light. the dark light, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the dark flame. Um, flame, yeah. Well, they called it dark light. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're running this dark light experiment. Uh, which, <laughs> which is, which is gonna... funny because she's like, like black light? And goes, or like, uh, what'd she say? Um... Ultraviolet? He goes, no. No. Actual yeah. dark light. <laughs> no, this is actually dark light. So, you know, black I'll, light. I'll, I'll write that light. off because I kind of sort of wishy-washy scientific explanation. Fine, whatever. And then the bad guy. The ultimate bad who runs around in a decomposing corpse body making Emperor Palpatine jokes. <laughs> Didn't like that either. See... I, I, I got a little squeamish about that, and I'll tell you what fixed it for me, is the fact that, no, honestly, is because as this character's playing out, and I, th- I really felt like Batty of the Week, very tropey villain, very, you know, villain-esque type things to say, and, and again, he was very Emperor Palpatine. It wasn't until the Doctor at the end has that impassioned diatribe with him, when he's talking about, he's ju- he's not even... The he's not even the evil or the villain or the henchman that he thinks or wants to be, and he goads him on in order to to take him on mono a mono. No skeleton army. No the two drone people that uh, well, I don't even remember the the other two who they had taken over their minds. It wasn't until the doctor started pointing out that you can't even handle this. Dark flame. You can't even handle this. You know, I mean, just when he starts going, it was almost like he was pointing to the fact that you're just going through the motions, and that's what it—that's what it really was. It was that revelation of you're not what you think you are. You're not this harbinger of doom, this all you know, powerful uh, uh, being that's going to bring on the the scourge of the universe. And starts pointing, what do you do after that? I mean, he just started pointing those things out, and I realized at that point that that was what the author was going for was to make you feel like this was the ultimate villain, but it was only the ultimate villain in his own mind. He was just really more of a con man and was able to manipulate others. It wasn't that he was all-powerful. He just was using this dark flame energy in order to influence people, and he did manage to begin to influence the Doctor even with that parlor trick, 
Which is also what I like, the fact that he had set up this plan that if I get pulled into this parlor trick, and I'm using parlor trick, nobody said that, but I'm paraphrasing. If I get pulled into this parlor trick, you're to knock me out. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it, once they got to the point where he was basically ripping back the curtain and yeah. saying, revealing that, that he is not who he is, who, he's th- who he thinks he is. He even thinks he's this. Once you rip that back, I realize that's what they were doing, is they were trying to create a character that you were supposed to believe, and but they were pushing it so far that it was becoming you know, the mustache twirling villain that suddenly it's all revealed that you know, you're, I, I, I'm going, you know, I'm, I'm the one in charge here. When the doctor finally takes hold of it and sets up its own paradox, I was, <laughs> that blew me away. See, I, I went. I'm super, I actually, that was the one thing that I was a little unsettled with, and I thought, you went there, and I'm just going to go with that. You you did a you did a little time reset. It felt like a Moffat or Russell T. Davis cheat. Actually, it felt like a Moffat cheat, Moffat cheat but I'm going to go with it because well, everything else up into that was pretty well, good. They, the fact that they also addressed it in the story. Yeah. And it just didn't. even told him to Yeah, and just... Well, just try not to think about that. I, <laughs> Dr. Kemp. Just, just ignore that. Rushing it off. Not a problem. Not hey, a don't, problem. don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> that, that to me that, that felt made a little... the paradox okay for me. Yeah, but that almost made it feel a little tied up in a little bow and say, okay, this is how we did a it quick was too, fix. It was too neat. Yeah. Yeah. That was my only... That was my only... If I had to come down on something, that was the one element of it. That see, that, like. that for was me was the straw that broke the camel's back because the villain... I can see that... Knowing how you've come through yeah. the story. The, the, the villain, I, I felt like, was very inconsistent through the whole thing. Because there were times when he was very, I don't know, almost debonair. And, and he was more than willing to have a genuine conversation with you about his plans for for Universal Conquest. And I liked that element of it. And then there were other times where he was this bloodthirsty, go and make sure people are dying most horribly. <laughs> I was like, eh, okay, whatever. Which one are you? And then... When he actually used the Star Wars line, I mean, come on, that didn't bother you a little bit. You didn't go, "Oh, come on, no, I just come join the dark side." We have cookies. Yes, really? Yes, it, <laughs> yes, it did. But then, what followed that justified to me what the author was trying to do. It was, it was pulling. He was pulling every tropey villain yeah. thing in from. He was just throwing it all into the kitchen. And like seat. I said, if, if, if he had picked one... And it, did, it was bothering me at that point. If he'd picked but. one and stuck with it, I think that would have been fine for the Doctor to then launch into his diatribe. Because once the Doctor starts rolling, it's like, okay, here we go. This is the end game. This is where we're, we, 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 we've got him into this bit. You don't have the, the, the strength to take me on one-on-one. Okay, I've got him now. You know? Everything else was set up to get to this moment. And if it had just been, if if he had picked one of those elements of the villain, I, th- I think that would have been fine. But the fact that he, w- the villain in him of himself, was just kind of like they couldn't settle on what they wanted him to be. Just, eh, I might have liked it a little eh. better, but I, it was justified for me. And then, like I said, the, the the time travel bit at the end was like, oh, so now we yeah. get a happy ending because you're, you're telling me that I'm going to call him Lurch, the bad guy <laughs> on the space station, who was obviously the bad guy. He's not actually a murderer now because we fixed it. Yeah. But your friend still died. Uh, admittedly, you gave him a happier death, but and now he well, didn't send that message back. And I do appreciate, paradise, but we're just not going to talk about it. I do appreciate <laughs> that Benny was uneasy about this situation that the doctor had done. He, she was very uneasy with what the doctor had done, and she says it's it's not better, but it's or what? How'd she how'd she say that about yeah. him? It's it's it doesn't a more dignified death. Yeah, it's better, it's but just, it's still, it, uh, yeah. yeah, she it's better. It's still. Not good or something. I don't remember how she said it, but I, I did like that Benny. Benny 
going back to Benny, she's very she's a very consistent character. I think a she lot really of that is. goes down to the fact she's the that, best part of these stories. Yeah, oh, yeah. I think it. Ben. I think it boils down to the fact that when Virgin had the lost the license to Doctor Who and realized that they needed something to push on and had the rights to Benny because she was created within their world, I think by them writing the character and then by uh, Lisa Berylman picking it up when Big Finish got the rights to do the the uh, Bernice Summerfield eventuals because they didn't yet have the license. I think Lisa was able to step in there, see what came before, and I think she made it her own. And I think that consistency in the character really worked. And I think Lisa Bowerman, 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 Lisa Bowerman is the key element that keeps that character so consistent. I think she she performs it. Admirably, and she—I think she really shined in these, and she really yeah. kept Benny the character that I think she carried over from her series, yeah. and, and continues to carry on because they're still making Benny Summerfield stories. So, I think my biggest complaint with the story is the cult members. I was okay with the Dark Flame taking over Benny, and then her being able to go back and be reverted, and not having any memory. I was okay with that because that's my companion—that's our <laughs> companion—and. It makes sense that since it has manifested in this corpse, it has these abilities. I didn't like the idea that the cult members were brainwashed too. I wish they had just actually been legitimate nut job cult cult members that wanted this big plan. And the fact that they undid that with what 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 happened, they lost all this time, they didn't remember... Everything that's the part that was sour for me. See, but I think that 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 went back. It to, tried to give it a, a, a too a, happy of an ending. Happy it, ending it, it did, and I, and I can see where and you're those coming were from. Those characters I didn't like, anyways, because they were supposed to be evil. But it was so part I didn't of need this, a happy ending for them. But yeah. it was no. But see, but the thing is, again, I would I probably would have a much sour taste in my mouth about it. But again, it goes back to the idea. That it was one, it was a con man. It was a con job, is what it was. It he really was trying to pull forward this ultimate apocalypse, but he wasn't doing. He was doing it under the guise of the cult and the mysticism and and all of this. See, I think it and it was the if- energy that was he was using and funneling and controlling, and he was manipulating their minds in the same way that he did Benny. Now, fortunately, Benny woke up at the end. But I liked the idea that that's where we drew all this to a narrow. You're really not as powerful as you say or think you are. I think you would have been more impactful and better villain had it not been mental powers on the cult guys yeah if if he had just literally been a con man and convinced him that this was this great powerful thing that needs to come forward and be but, one thing instead of just entirely taking over their mind but and and, see, and not problem- done consistently because when the female doctor reveals herself to be a member of this cult poorly that you know <laughs> so what you're why, why are you helping him oh because i'm a member of the cult too she is totally 100% in this of her own free will. There is no power that you can tell me that this guy is influencing on this chick that has made her, you know, 
And then we get all down to the planet, and what happens to all our I'm here of my own free will supporters? They're all zombified. Yes, Master. Let's go over here, Master. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, that's no, no, see, that's, uh, that's again, poorly written. I think that's that, poorly no, written. I, no, I think that was right in line with the reveal that we that we got. I think the the, the problem is is that might have made subtly a better su- subtly a better story. However, I think because of the time constraints that you have. I just think there would have had to have been way too more backstory built into it as to how he got them to the point where they were so subservient that they were ready to die for him as as the butler did or was, you know. Well, and they, they could have even done it in a way where See, that's the other thing. The they butler. were loyal they were loyal to him and then once they got down to the planet and he was corporeal changed the plan and had to use his mental powers to take them over. That what he was planning wasn't really what they were working towards, and then he needed to hijack them that, to execute his plan. See, the butler, I didn't Suddenly buy that would have made a better story, yeah. but I still think it worked a lot. I, the, I did not buy for an instant that the butler was under any kind of mind control. The butler was totally he, there. He was, he was the because he believed. I don't think you were. What this stuff you was weren't going supposed on. to until the rugs pulled out and you realized. But that's, that that's, these, that's the, always they've that's always the been under their problem with fluence. it. If by giving it this happy ending and saying, "Oh, it was just all his mental influence that made them do this," like, no, I don't buy that because that happy ending has basically undermined the entire framework of your story. Because in the, within no, because, the confines of the story, because the story they're has been, of their own free will. The story they're has just been, believing this. this no, the story has been a clever ruse and a con all along. No, I mean, I even and, and and I agree that that if he had been able to con them, but that's just it. He also did not come through until I mean until he was corporal. He was having to sort of do a lot of this astrally, <laughs> I suspect. And a lot of that has to be mental projection. And now, granted, had had we been able to have some time to develop a real cult, and yeah, I think it, that would have been a much better way to take this story. But I don't think it. I don't think it undersells anything. I do think that the only thing that I think wrapped up too nicely was the uh, the, the breaking them of the mind control. I didn't have a problem with. It was the resetting time element that I think was was at fault here in this story. But I don't like it. What do we got coming up on the schedule? Uh, hopefully better than this week. <laughs> <laughs> Why couldn't he take over the robot? He has this huge impassioned speech about, oh, to be a living flesh and feel the blood pumping, blah, blah, blah. I'm cold, dead flesh. Take over the robot. At least that body's not going to decompose on you anymore. It's still cold and dead. But Maybe <laughs> maybe because it's mechanical. Maybe he uh, has to be. Uh, but he's got super organic. mind powers. I don't yeah, know. but <laughs> for organic beings. He didn't obviously mind control the robot. The one robot was still – he gave his life because he had – I mean he was he was following orders because he was a robot. But that's because of, you know, the three laws of robotics. <laughs> I mean you could have just you, – you could apply that to everything. He actually got – to me, he got uh, what you self, a little more self-aware when he uh, uh, sacrificed himself. But yeah. he was just following orders. The robot was great. He was, he was a great yeah. character. I, bottom line, C three PO. Totally, I can't wait to get to more. Nah, C three PO would have been all bumbling and scared. I can't wait to get more Benny. Is oh. the bottom line from these stories? Everything else. Unfortunately, has she returned in the main line? I think she's no. she's only she's in her only own been story. in her other stuff. Yeah, so. And I'm going to chalk that up to an underperformance of these two stories. Is why we haven't gotten more <laughs> Benny. Oh, look, the numbers back me up. I, yeah. No, I. <laughs> 
I think I'm that, being a sourpuss. No, no, no. I'm sorry. No, I did no, not no. like You're, you're Mr. Grumpy Bear this week, but I I think that I think that overall, I, I admire the fact that Big Finish had made two attempts at stories that are commonly considered sidestep stories, and I think that that's the reason why they haven't come back is not because these did so dismally because these actually, if you look oh, across the board, get very good reviews. Oh, I'm from sure. Of fandom. Yeah. But I think a lot of that plays in the fact that a lot of fandom are familiar with the new adventures. I think the reason why we haven't readdressed those is because big finish continues to make things their own. I think we, we did step back into, we did sidestep when we brought, Forbisher on board for a while, and that was attempted for a yeah. while as well, and then we walked away from that. So, I mean, yeah. it's, it's there. I would really I think, like to see more, I, like like you commented, the, the, the dynamic between Ace and Benny was so good that I would like to see more of that kind of stuff. Adventure on their own you know, would be kind oh, yeah. of, and, or something along those lines. But I'd also like to see Benny with Eight, since he's supposedly the one that she's enamored with. <laughs> I would like to kind of, you know, let's get uh, that we, story. I'd kind of like to get a Rose in 10. We don't want that. <laughs> uh, but we don't want that. We don't want that at all. But we've had that. Yeah. Well, exactly. That's we've why had that we, with Charlie. We, so. we don't need it. But I just I, with, with Benny though. I, I think it's 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 a different character. So <laughs> it's not just you know it's not unrequited quite to the extent that uh, I don't know Rose was. Anyway, so uh, coming up next week on the schedule, our Friday night who for this week is the first two parts of the two doctors. Uh, the Two Doctors is one of those oddball ones that's a three-part adventure, but it's basically double-length episodes, so it falls under the preview of a six-parter, but there's not really a good point where we can call it halvesies. <laughs> so we're going to do two-thirds of it this week. Um, and that's, of course... Uh, Which is in, how many episodes is three episodes? It, it's, it's a total of three genuine episodes, so but they're 45-minute we'll ones. And one. so, so we'll do two and a half one week and four... And then 45 minutes the next week, so... It'll be kind of an oddball one. We'll try it out and see how it works. Maybe once we get into it, we'll go, now. we should have totally broke here and <laughs> figure it out for next time. I don't think but. you could. I, you either have to do one and two or two and one. I don't think you yeah, can yeah. stop in the middle no, of that. No, episode. no, no. Um, and then just decided, and this has been edited and posted on uh, not only our, our feeds and I've updated the schedule as well. Um, coming for our, we're, we're doing the first half of that so that we can do our Beyond the Doctor uh, for Colin Baker since we're in June now. And uh, we've decided that Glenn's fantastic idea uh, is to do The White Iris, which is an episode of Star Trek Continues. And this episode just posted this week? Yesterday. Yesterday. Well, relatively. Um, the Sunday they teased it, said it would be up soon, and then I think it dropped Monday, finally. Or maybe it dropped this morning. I think it dropped Sunday. I think they teased it Saturday. No, no, they teased it Sunday. Oh, well, you posted yesterday... Oh, Sunday was yesterday. Yeah, Sunday was I'm yesterday. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm thinking it's Tuesday. Well, technically, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. No, you're right. Relatively. They teased it Saturday and posted it Sunday. I'm sorry. So uh, for those that don't know, Star Trek Continues is a, a fan-based production where they're basically continuing the story of Star Trek set in the original series uh, during the five-year missions. Uh, and it's all fan-run and produced and everything. They've got, I think, four episodes up, and White Iris is the fourth of those. But Colin Baker's the guest star. So we've decided, hey, what better way to, you know... Get some love of Star Trek in there than to do that. So that's what we're going to do. And it's doing. accessible to everybody. And right it's accessible now. to everybody. So We've got the, website, the link on our website, and, and you can watch it Chromecast, it's on their you website. Can cast it to your Chromecast. Um, next week on the twelfth, uh, we will finish off the two Doctors with part three, and then there are a couple more big finish stories. Uh, number two, oh, that's the sorry, uh, number forty-five, Project Lazarus, which is another seventh Doctor one. Kind another of sidestep. 
and number 57 arrangements. Did you say Seventh Doctor kind of? Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> and arrangements for war, uh, which is number 57. Right. Can I, can I, uh, can I give a um, two word clue? Sure. Blue coat. <laughs> Seventh Doctor kind of. <laughs> um, and uh, now, if you, those of you that are longtime listeners might remember that we did review Project Twilight on the show quite a while back, um, which was a, a seventh Doctor story of vampirism and that kind of stuff. Yeah. This is a sequel. Six Doctor story. Or Six Doctor story, pardon me. Six Doctor story to um, that. Um, what am I trying to say? It's a sequel to that one. So I don't know if you feel like you need to go back and brush up on it and re-listen to that one, or at the very least, maybe go and read the synopses and kind of refresh your memory because there are some elements and characters that do apparently transfer into this one. Um, and that's Nimrod specifically. Nimrod specifically, well, but that's part of my that, failing. Uh, what's is, her face? Yeah, well, uh, is she in it or is it her son at this point? It's her. Oh, okay. Yeah, dealing with the forge and all that. And that's and part of my Angie. failing is not putting. And, no, it wasn't Angie. Uh, yeah, and who are you talking about? Yeah. Maybe we should have scheduled those together. I maybe should have, because yeah, I, I guess yeah. it's a trilogy, but some time passes in there between is, yeah, the stories. There, there are so. several, several yeah. years. Yeah. yeah no. I, I want to say like 40 years or 50 years or something like that. Yeah. I don't remember exactly mm, how much, but is it that long? There's, a, there's a span. So span. either way, uh, so Project Lazarus well, and Arrangements Her, her kid's grown at that point, right? They haven't. Or is uh, that the next one? That must be the next okay, one. Okay. Maybe that's what I'm thinking ahead yeah. then. Okay. Uh, the following week, we'll be doing Father's Day. For Friday Night Who with Chris Reckleson, the weekend of Father's Day. And then uh, a fun little topic, so you should all put your thinking caps on now. Great fathers in Doctor Who. So start thinking about uh, who you would write in as the, you know, who who is a great father. Not necessarily the best father, but who's a great father in all of Doctor Who timeline. And we'll discuss that that week. Cool. Awesome. All right. Uh, we're running along, so let's just wrap it up. Ooh, that's going to do it for this week. Until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.